whatever. We got two two movies to cover, so again. That's true, but like how much time are we really gonna spend talking about the other one? You know, like it's it's true. Fine. I don't it's have there. as many notes yeah. for two as I do for one. Yeah, like two's like, ah, you know, I'm glad it's there, I guess, because like if I want more, eh, I could put the other one on. If I don't, eh, fucking ignore that it was there. Yeah. Or go play the video game, which I find more entertaining either way. <laughs> All right. Uh you ready to get rolling then? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to another spooky Dance Robot Dance. This is episode 221. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm here with my good friend, Tim. Hey, It's time to right some wrongs this week. <laughs> we, need, we need to fucking vilify ourselves and <laughs> purge some bad blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about Ghostbusters tonight. And if you look at the history of the podcast, we've Ghostbusters have been a topic, the topic, twice uh, on the second episode that we ever recorded, and then one a couple weeks ago when we talked about the game. But like, what we're really looking at is kind of like rectifying the situation on that first episode, which isn't even titled Ghostbusters, so I don't know why I'm worried about it, because that's back when <laughs> I used to make the titles ridiculous. <laughs> Do not go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, Tim and I listened to it today. It was not the uh, easiest sit. Uh, 221 episodes, or 220 episodes, I guess, later. I mean, we're probably, you know, we're our own worst critics, right? But it's, I would say, objectively has some major issues that yeah. make it very difficult to listen to, even yeah. if you're not us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, even in, as us, it was that was a long <laughs> sit. Like, it was a long 90 minutes. Anyway, yeah. nothing, that's, you know, just that's just what we're doing this week. And I feel much more justified about, like, let's go do Ghostbusters again than I did before I listened to it. Because yeah. I'd rather have this version of it than that probably floating around. So there you go. But before we get into that discussion, we're going to do, like, what little nerdy news there was this week. Because, like, it's pretty bare bones this week. It's sparse. Yeah. First thing that I wanted to bring up was... uh Amazon is creating a I Know What You Did Last Summer show. The reason why I want to bring this up is like, who the fuck wants that and why are you doing that is basically. Yeah, I mean, I'm a horror guy and I don't even have much in the way of nostalgia for I Know What You Did Last Summer. So the only thing I have nostalgia for in that movie are Sarah Michelle Gellar and Jennifer Love Hewitt. So fair. And so I, I looked at like at the cover image for this article, and it's got like Sarah Michelle Geller and Ryan Felipe. I was like, wait a minute, that's fucking what Dangerous Liaisons or whatever, Cruel Intentions. Oh, Cruel Intentions, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, no way, that was the this is the other movie that they did together. Yeah, they were in another piece of shit movie together, also. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, do, you shut your whore mouth about Cruel Intentions. Oh, oh my Tim, that's like the that worst was, movie. It's so bad. It is, but like, but like. It's sexy, As, absolutely. Like, teenage yeah. Tim was oh, all yeah. Oh my time. god. We screened that movie. I've never seen a hornier group of kids in my entire <laughs> life. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Fuck. I'm sure everybody who had somebody to go do funny things with, fun things with, definitely went and did it after we watched that movie. Yeah. So there you go. Uh <laughs> I, don't, I just wanted to bring it up because I was like, who who wants nope. this? Like, nope. are we just plumbing the plumbing the depths? of things that people may recognize at like from pop culture ephemera at this point. It's just, man, yeah. make something new guys. It's just try something new instead. Like, ugh. anyway, uh, speaking of things that are not new and that we're going to just bring back and beat the dead corpse of Dexter's coming back for another, like 
single season. It is. And having left off with like Dexter living a different life, I think in Canada, actually. Yes, he was uh, up uh, in the Pacific Northwest somewhere, if I remember the finale correctly. I've not watched it since it finaled, and yeah. I've been repressing it ever since. So. I can't remember if it's supposed to be like Pacific Northwest, like US, like Oregon or some uh, shit like that, or if it's supposed to be Canada. But either way, I watched every single episode of Dexter, and I enjoyed it for the most part. Good fucking show and i mean it yeah it went off the rails a little bit towards the end and it was a little bit well the last like what is it from season five forward it's just like uh it, it gets worse and worse yeah like just it's worse just and it's, worse. it's just like the longer it goes on the harder it is to believe that nobody has caught him <laughs> well the problem is like they got rid of that the black cop in like season yeah. two who was like the best character on the show and after that he doesn't have any real antagonist on the force anymore like there's Surprise, a surprise motherfucker yeah that guy was the fucking best you know what i mean i never seen him in anything else either like he was so good in that show yeah anyway he was just built like a thick fucking flank steak too like yeah. my god that he had no neck i can't remember his name the actor was just like enormous though yeah i'll probably watch a dexter reboot just as even as just a curiosity I might like watch the first episode as morbid curiosity, which I mean, like the, the only, like there's not a lot of news, but like discovery season three premiered yesterday and I watched that. So like if I'm going to get kicked in the balls by TV, like I'll probably get kicked in the balls by Dexter too, for at least one episode. So (laughs) yeah, I have not started watching discovery yet. I didn't even hate the episode. It's a little fillery and had like a plot point where I was like, wait, that doesn't even make any sense. And like they say all the dilithium in the galaxy blew up and I'm like, wait, so like, the warp technology hasn't advanced in a thousand years to where yeah. they're just not using the lithium anymore, but the lithium is the cause of all of this, like no warp. I was like, Oh, it's just another one of those, like the fans know the word the lithium. So use that, which yeah. is what discovery has been horrifyingly guilty for of uh, guilty of since it started. And anyway, I don't want to talk about that. We may review that down the road. If I, mm-hmm continue to watch it so we'll see what happens <laughs> after lord dex i had so much fun with lord dex i was like oh maybe they'll get it right this time and i was already like oh no i have a tech problem and it's like 15 minutes into the fucking episode <laughs> like this is not all right mm. all right anyway and related only because it's about space and because we like talking about creatively bankrupt horseshit disney's making a space mountain movie now <sighs> with isn't fucking uh, oh, it's the uh, Obi Wan Kenobi TV show writer that is attached to it, and this is one I will be very surprised if this actually gets off the ground. They've been talking about it for a while too. Like this is one that's come up, or maybe it's something else. Oh, Haunted, Haunted Mansion is the other one. Yeah, that's yeah, been just rumored and rumored for years and years. And, yeah, and unless at this point they're gonna fucking get Guillermo del Toro to do it, then I'm not super interested. But. That guy could change, you know, there there are other people out there that could potentially make an interesting Haunted Mansion movie. But yeah, this one, I mean, they already did the Tomorrowland movie, and Space Mountain is a fucking attraction within Tomorrowland. And so, eh. So, yeah. I mean, it's not going to be for me anyways. It's going to be for fucking, like, it's a kid's teen, movie. Yeah, kids and teens and whatever. I just think it's interesting, because it's basically like it's space in a mountain. Like, it's a ride, right? <laughs> yeah. Like parts of the Caribbean at least kind of invokes like a, a milieu to go into kind yeah. of, which even that I was like, why are they making, I mean, I'm not a Disney guy. So I was like, what the fuck? Why are we doing this? And I liked the first movie enough. Right. So whatever. And that's but one like, of kind of the cool well, things they did when they, I, I watched that Tomorrowland movie. It wasn't bad. And they did buy into the whole sort of like retro futurism idea, which is kind of at the heart of a theme park land. That's yeah. based around the future and space and stuff like that. That's, 
going to constantly outdate itself. And so like they at least, but, but here I just don't see where there's much of a story in this fucking ride. Like the fucking ride itself is just a roller coaster through space. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like, (laughs) what are you going to do with that? Really? (laughs) I don't know, man. Like, it's not like, I don't understand why they didn't just rebrand it. Star Wars. The minute they bought that fucking franchise, Uh, I think (laughs) X-Wings flying around and stuff. I guess they have in some parks. They've, uh, okay. There it is. They've called it, rebranded it to hyperspace mountain and they've like redone the video or like, they've had like projections going. Cause it's like all indoor. It's an indoor coaster. So like on the, in, inner walls as you're flying around they've uh, like done projections of star wars vehicles and changed the soundtrack to be star wars music and shit like that i mean it's cool it's an interesting flip and i think i don't think they do that at disney world they've done it at disneyland and uh disneyland paris when alicia and i were there a couple of years ago was in hyperspace mountain mode too so i've tried it it's all right okay fair enough the next Thing I have to talk about. It's just one casting note for Black Adam. Uh, Sarah Shahi has joined the cast. So uh, the theory going around is she's going to be ISIS. If she's not ISIS, I'll eat my fucking hat. Yeah, I mean, she like, looks the part. So yeah, there's that. Absolutely. She's a good actress. I like her. She was, she's was. she been in lots and lots of stuff that I've watched. I don't um, recognize... Oh, I guess she's been in... I don't know. She's in Supernatural really early on. And then oh, okay. she's been in a popped up in a car. I think she was in suits or something like that. I can't remember. I watched like a okay. season of something that she was in. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's really good. She's gorgeous, obviously. But like, yeah, she's pretty good. So Chicago fire. Yeah. Nothing that. I yeah. Watched. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the only other thing I had. I mean, AMD is putting their new Ryzen line out. It's going to be fucking baller. It's kicking Intel's ass. I'm very excited about it, but it's not really news we cover. Generally speaking, it's just news <laughs> that I'm obsessed with because I'm a fucking tech head. So uh, if you're building a new rig, go look at those AMD machines because they are pretty fucking hot. Uh, the, the only other thing I wanted to bring up was there's a article on, I think it's on io9 about comics contracts and COVID and some of the stuff that happened with terrific productions oh, in the last couple shit. months. And like, actually, it's funny. It's a funny story because they actually approached me a couple months ago, but I had already seen the name pop up. So I just kind of ignored it. And then it turned into this huge thing. And I was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't fucking engage in that because that would have really fucked my life up more than it already is. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's, it's worth predatory bullshit. Yeah. But if you're interested in the comic book industry and like how COVID's kind of like basically fucking ravaged it, like it's kind of on its like it's basically on ventilation at this point. Like it's pretty rough. Like it's on life support. So uh, I I would recommend going to read that and you know trying to see how poorly your creative teams are being treated by some scumbags out there just to yeah. make a buck. So yeah, that's all I had. Do you have anything else you want to bring up? Uh, there are a few things. <laughs> there's a DC. There's a big DC like thing happening right now that, that I'm not aware of or like i was aware of but only in the the, they're showing key art of new batman designs and i was like meh meh yeah so they they've announced the next their next like big event um they're in the middle of dark knight's death metal right now which is just like a fucking ridiculous fever dream because it's more is that still going on it's it's called dark knight's death this is a sequel event it's dark oh this is dark knight's death metal instead of just yeah, I just feel like that, that. I feel like they've been talking about this for fucking like two years now. So yeah, and I mean, if you're into like just fucking like crazy stories that have little or no consequence, then fine. Like I prefer more 
yeah. character driven kind of stuff and that looks like what this event so the the event that they're teasing now which starts in like early 2021 is called future state and it's basically like another one of i mean they've done something similar to this before but it's like mm-hmm. this is the the future of the dc universe you know we're going to take you x number of years into the future and show you what like the next like superman and batman and wonder woman are going to look like and that kind of thing which oh. is always I, I always like exploring those you know, it's, it's a cool continuity exercise to explore those, you know, potential futures, you know, see like a grown up Jonathan Kent and, you know, taking on the Superman role and that kind of thing. And so it always never makes sense to me. It's like, shouldn't Superman be immortal? Is it like, he's still just still around hanging out too. Like, well, the there's, sun's being... yeah, there, I mean, if, if, uh, did you read DC 1 million back in the day, late nineties? I, I remember I was actually going to bring it up because yeah. when I saw the, like the blurb for, uh, what is this called? Fast forward or future, forward? future state whatever <laughs> i don't know future state i was like this is very reminiscent of something i remember reading in the 90s and it kind of yeah it, it evoked uh dc 1 million from like what was that 96 or 5 or something like that yeah 90 uh, maybe later i think it was like 98 okay yeah so yeah, mid to late like, 90s yeah yeah in that event speaking of superman being immortal there was like superman prime and he had basically taken up residence in the sun at that point and become mm-hmm. like almost like a godlike being and that was like the whole sort of bend of that miniseries was that like they were trying to it turned out they were trying to like bring back a like the soul of lois lane or something like that so that he they could reunite lois and superman after like fucking millennia oh like after like eight hundred thousand years or something like that because it was set in like the 853rd century so it was it ended up being like a nice like you know little uh, heartstring pulling thing but yeah i mean they, they've definitely played with the idea of superman being functionally immortal in multiple like little different continuities here and there but there's some cool shit that's gonna be coming in here so some of the interesting ones are joelle jones doing a wonder Wo- uh, take on like the future wonder woman like a there's a future batgirl series a future superman versus lex series and stuff yeah. like that so yeah i mean i'm gonna read it it's dc so fair enough what else do i have oh did you see the fury road cast or fury road prequel casting I did. I saw Hemsworth in there. I didn't like Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, yeah. Abdul Mateen the second and Anya Taylor Joy, who is in New Mutants, is playing the younger version of Furiosa, which I think works. I, I just fucking bring Charlize back into a sequel, you cowards. Like, I want that too, but so I don't know. I'm like I, I'll go see it because if George is George Miller directing it, I didn't even. That's the one thing I didn't really look yeah. at. Like I'm yeah. sure he's co-written, right? co-written and directed by George Miller. Well, then I'm sure it'll be fucking fantastic. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Fury Road was like the best movie of the last decade or like, I don't Something know. Like that, it, yeah. That's yeah. It's one of the, it's best up there with the like decade. Blade Runner 2049. Oh yeah. 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 Like, it's, <laughs> yeah I, I put it up there with like the dark Knight and stuff in the last, like, well, like, actually fuck that's longer than 10 years ago now, isn't it? Oh no. Man. Dark Knight was uh 2012. Uh, it's 2008 actually. It was the dark. Knight. Was it? Yeah. No, I, th- uh, I thought that was... rises rises was 2013 or 2012 oh okay jeez yeah Shit. yeah it's been a while right so yeah, yeah. but either way yeah like uh, fury road's amazing and like i'm on board obviously i just i just just i want to see Charlize do that fucking role again i, I really <laughs> like she was the reason i watched that movie like a million times yeah so like, then, it wasn't like tom hardy bringing me back although like more tom hardy max fuck sign me up be, too also you know yeah so hopefully, hopefully we'll get that at some point. But uh, for now, this is what we're getting, and I mean, we'll we'll definitely go see it. The other one, oh, yeah. which is just one of those fucking inscrutable things, is they're rebooting Buck Rogers. 
Oh yeah, I saw that. I was just like, whatever, man. They they talk about rebooting Buck Rogers every like fucking five years. Like mm. it's come up constantly. Just, Kevin Smith was trying to do it a couple years ago and got yeah. shot down. So who knows what's gonna happen? I'm just it's just it's such a fucking like dated franchise, and I don't oh, think. I mean, I guess if they can do Battlestar, they can you know BSG, they can fucking maybe do something with this, but it doesn't inspire confidence. I yeah agreed. And so that's one of those pulpy ones that like kind of I like escaped me kind of thing. Yes, yeah. you go down like schlocky bad like B movie kind of that that kind of stuff. I I'll lean into like Reanimator or something ridiculous like that. But like those like old pulpy kind of adventure things like Buck Rogers or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I'm like oh I can't. I'm the same. Like I I can't do like shit like uh like Flash Thompson or anything like that. Yeah. I just can't. Yeah, just doesn't 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 hold up for me. Flash Gordon, Flash Thompson, Flash Gordon. From, uh, yeah, uh, no. Spider Man. That's Spider-Man. Flash. Gordon. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I can't do that stuff. It's weird because like I like some of the pulpy stuff from before that, like Doc Savage and stuff. I read those books and I like that. And then like obviously I'm like a big Trekkie and like I mean, Star Wars, fine, blah, blah blah. But like there's that middle period where they would put stuff out and I was like, ah, it's not like Logan's I like run it. and all that kind yeah, of. Yeah, it doesn't really. Work. It never really worked for me. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Is that everything you got? That's it. It's like fucking slowest news week ever. I swear to <laughs> in the bottom of the barrel there. It is. All right. So it's uh, Geek of the Week time. Geek of the Week. Which is the segment where we tell each other the nerdiest thing we did this week. Uh, I'm going to go first because mine's super short. I, we are, I was so busy this week. We had a little family emergency on Tuesday. Oh, no. And uh, yeah, everything's fine. And I'll fill you in. I should have told you beforehand, but I'll, I'll fill you in afterwards. But it's not All a right. big deal. All right. It was a big deal, but like everything's kind of sorted itself out. So it's, <laughs> there you go. So the only thing I've really had time to do is like Inktober stuff. So I've just been drawing my Inktober run right now. Like As we are recording this, we're at day... I posted 14. We're going into day 15 kind of thing. Or maybe today was day 15. We're going into day 16. I don't know. I posted a Scooby-Doo yesterday. It took me way fucking longer than it should have. And then I've got a Buffy that I'm going to post tomorrow, I guess, that didn't take as long as the scooby-doo did for some reason is your buffy gonna give me a buffy probably she's like it's you know early season leather pants kind of buffy so nice you'll be on you'll be on board i'm sure <laughs> i mean sarah michelle Geller, like when are you ever not on board really noise yeah yeah so what about you so again it being horror season for me uh, i picked another franchise to watch this week and this week it was the fly Oh, nice. Yeah, going back to the the 50s, like 1958 original version with like Vincent Price, which is, I mean, cheesy and, and you know, B-horror kind of thing, but still yeah. like has its charm Yep, and has fucking Vincent Price. And I love Vincent Price. And I can fucking watch him all day long. Hell yeah. And I watched the two sequels from that, which are diminishing returns but still i haven't watched hadn't watched them before so they were interesting uh, now is vincent price in the sequels he's in the second one not the third okay. one yeah fair enough hey man vincent free vincent price is always good vincent price you know what i mean so like take it where you can get it yeah uh and the first one was filmed in color the second and third uh the second is called the return of the fly and then the third is curse of the fly uh both of those are black and white not color they really need to get back to uh that like style of naming movies where it's like curse yeah. of revenge of, you know, like that kind of well, shit. They did that, that with the, the apes last series of apes movies. That's true. They did. They, yeah. they were kind of doing it with Batman. I'm like, they should get back to that shit. Yeah. Those are fun. Like, yeah. It's fun. Like throwback to that pulpy stuff. Not just do, being like, a, like 
Iron Man, Iron Man Two, Iron Man. Yeah, 3. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess they're kind of doing that with like Avengers, where it's like you know Infinity or War Thor game and stuff like that. And yes, Thor, obviously. But yeah, I like it when they have the little subtitles. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, just fucking put a number on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what Mission Impossible are we on here? We've got Who six cares? of those colon yeah. ones. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, do I care which Mission Impossible it is? <laughs> Does Knox it matter? Is... Nope. Still gonna watch it. Probably Does still it gonna watch it. Does it matter how many dozen Fast and Furious movies have come out before this one? Nope. No, you're absolutely right about that. <laughs> Continuity in those movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. So um, but way. I mean, after that, I got into the 80s ones, the David Cronenberg remake with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, which is just a just a fucking masterpiece. Oh, yeah. Uh, that one's, uh, that that's a piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I came to the realization that I'm pretty sure that's one of, if not the first, like real body horror movies that I ever saw. So it's probably... Uh, responsible for my like to this day fascination with body horror movies I mean, that's that movie's basically baby's first body horror movie like that's the <laughs> one you, like the what you would be introduced especially us like in our age group like you would be in, like the fly's the first one you would see that really had that in it especially in that time it's got i can't figure out if it was that or uh the alien movies that i would have seen first because there's definitely a, a big chunk of body horror in those as well with the yeah. chest bursters and everything yeah, it was all stuff I saw later that really got like the Lynch stuff. Like, was it like a racer head and stuff like that? Or mm, yeah. you would you would see that kind of shit. But that's way later, that's like so earlier. surreal that it's harder. Yeah. Like, it's harder to really relate to. Whereas this, like, I mean, I, I can't personally relate to becoming a fucking Brundlefly hybrid or whatever. But so yeah, the, those two movies, I I love that first uh, that Cronenberg movie, and then the sequel to it. I don't know if I. I think I must have seen that one at some point. It's fine. It's still got like some interesting effects work and shit like that, but it's nowhere near the like just brilliant fucking piece of work. It's not Cronenberg, right? So it's yeah, yeah. Fair. I don't. I actually I sat down and watched Reanimator and uh, From mm-hmm. Beyond or whatever it was this week, just because I was like, I need something brainless to put on. Fuck, Reanimator is still one of those like oh yeah, so like perfectly like it's so cheesy, but it's like perfectly cheesy. Yeah, yeah. exploding oh. heads. Yeah, like how can you go wrong with that much Jeffrey Combs? Like you cannot <laughs> go wrong with that much Jeffrey Combs. But that's cool. Yeah, but I was actually looking at the fly. I should uh, grab those and watch them. I haven't seen them in a long time. The reason I was fucking motivated to it was that fucking vice presidential debate where oh yeah, Pence <laughs> had the fucking fly on his head the whole time. I was like, you know what? I haven't watched the fly in a long time. I'm gonna do that. All the memes that came out of that kind of like. Put the same bug in my, <laughs> put the same <laughs> bug in my head too, but I just didn't follow up on it because I was kind of in the middle of like doing my yearly Exorcist rewatch and all that kind of stuff. So mm, yeah, yeah. I think you've prompted my next uh, franchise rewatch, which I think is going to be Evil Dead because it's been a long time. <sighs> I just watched them back and, and rewatched those. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that you just done your annual rewatch of those. So. Yeah, man. <sighs> fucking, I love those three movies. Are like. <sighs> Just the fucking best, <laughs> which you're going to hear a lot of tonight, I guess, because we're going to we're talking about a movie that I have absolutely no fucking issues with whatsoever and consider <laughs> it to be perfect, which we can move on to now because uh, that's the geek of the week. So it's meat of the episode time. Meat of the episode. Free floating full torso meat. Yeah, man. So like this is us kind of writing a wrong, correcting past sins. Uh, episode two, we talked about, I guess we were ostensibly talking about Ghostbusters 2016 more so than the the, the franchise as a whole. At least that's how the conversation ends up going either way, based on my listen to it to this morning. I think we'd intended for it to be like a comparison, but it ended up being about like 75% Ghostbusters answer the call as, yeah. as it has come to be known. 
and like me really softballing that movie too which like i fucking loathe like with a fiery passion upon rewatch and stuff. it's fucking horrible um but we're not talking about any of that shit anymore we're done we're talking about <laughs> ghostbusters 1984's original ghostbusters well actually not even I shouldn't even say it's the original ghostbusters because there was the other one that was gonna sue them <laughs> ahead of time with with the monkey yeah, the one with the monkey that like you would see on the TV guide. Like, sweet, Ghostbusters is going to be on, and it would come on and be like, ah, horseshit, it's the filmation one, not the good one. So we should do, we should do like a fucking like April Fool's episode where we say we're going to do like another Ghostbusters, like a Ghostbusters, like, like dude, we're going to do season one of real Ghostbusters or something or, like that, like just or, or like a commentary of of the nineteen eighty four Ghostbusters, yeah. and then we just fucking do the filmation version. <laughs> Yeah, I just watched a couple episodes. There's a live action version of that, or at least maybe that's just the opening credits. But like, oh, I God, oh, it's just yeah, that that shows interesting. But either way, we're not talking about that. We're talking <laughs> about the good shit, and we're talking about 1984's you know classic horror comedy Ghostbusters, just because it's Halloween time, and this is a movie that like I watch. I mean, I watch this movie like once or twice a month, sometimes depending <laughs> on what kind of mood I'm in. It's like my happy place. So I think we'll start off just by like doing what we usually do and like do you have any memory whatsoever of you've seen this for the first time like how were you exposed to ghostbusters early on like that this is just one of those movies that's been like pervasive my entire life i know we had these both of these movies on vhs as a kid because my dad fucking loved them it was one of those movies that everybody in our family liked so you know we if if we're looking for something to watch on a sunday afternoon or something it was just okay we'll put on ghostbusters was it was like ghostbusters and goonies and like star wars were like a few of those movies that we were just fucking everybody could be okay with watching yeah so that's fair uh, yeah i think that's kind of my similar experience where like i re- I remember we us having it on beta max like a dubbed copy of it that i probably won the <laughs> shit out of and then uh yeah like i bought every edition you can like fucking possibly find of the movie like this was the first movie i bought vhs widescreen of <laughs> when it, yeah. they released it for the 10th or 15th anniversary or something so- like that this is one of those movies I can, speaking of widescreen, I, I watched so much when I was a kid that I can remember to this day the, the scenes. That, scan. The, yeah. The, yeah the, or the screens that were distorted on full screen, yep. like that yep. elevator scene in particular that was so fucking squished. And yep. like that uh, Egon and, and Ray and Pete uh, were all just fucking like, like skinny, tall, like yep. ridiculous. I was like, what? What's happening here? And yep. then, you know, even when I see that scene to this day in its normal aspect ratio, that still jumps into my head. I have exactly the same experience. There's lots of like shots where I'm like, Hey, I can see Harold Ramis here. I don't remember being able to see him when I was a kid or like, yeah, yeah like that scene where like the, the aspect ratio has obviously just been like compressed into four by three when it's really like, it's a shot in like cinema scope. So it's something like 2.35 or 2.85 yeah. to one or something like that. Like that very wide cinema kind of aspect ratio. And it really shows when you start hacking it for pan and scan. Cause it, yeah, yeah you, there's lots of frame missing at that point. So, yeah, for sure. Um, there'd be a, a curious exercise to go back and watch a pan and scan version of this after like 20 years of not having seen it or something. Yeah. yeah. yeah I can't remember the last time I saw a pan and scan version of this. I've watched it, been watching it on widescreen since I bought that first VHS. I'm, I'm sure, sure my parents still have it on like the full screen VHS. <laughs> I'm, I mean, there, it might be in a box somewhere around here, but uh, yeah. I don't know. And like, since I should probably couch this, we are going to talk about both movies. So Ghostbusters 1 and 2, we're not just talking about the 1984 one. So did you see ghostbusters 2 because like that's a movie i saw in theaters that's like that 1989 summer that's insane when you look at what came out i mean uhf came out that summer 
biggest movie. I mean, wait, that's not <laughs> the biggest movie. Like Last Crusade came out that summer. Obviously, oh, yeah. Batman, which we just talked about not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, huge summer. For me, it's so difficult to separate these two because in my head, they've just always both existed. I don't know yeah. that I, I would have seen ba- uh, Ghostbusters 2 in theaters, but like for me, I don't know that there's been a single time in my life that I've watched one of these movies and not watched the second one as well. It would Fair just enough. almost always be like just back to back. Just first yeah. one ends, pop the second one in. I'm not as like quick to pop, pop the second one in usually like i'll watch the first one and just be like oh man it's so fucking perfect i'm just, i'm just done like it's perfect i'm spent i'm gonna walk away now <laughs> and maybe the next day i'll be like oh, i'm real bored i'll throw ghostbusters 2 up on the screen kind of on the side but like ghostbusters out for even to this day i've seen this movie thousands of times probably i'll still <laughs> sit there and just like watch it and like intently watch it and still see new stuff every once in a while I'll be like oh yeah how did i miss that after fucking <laughs> 100 million viewings of this fucking movie in like every format possible like i just i bought the 4k blu-ray of this movie just because it's ghostbusters and there's a new format and i was like well 4k i'll watch it again because i'm gonna watch it 15 fucking times in like the first (laughs) month i own it so so the one thing that made it made this watch a little different for me um at least for ghostbusters not for ghostbusters 2 was this was the first time i'd watched ghostbusters high and i mean like nearly comatose high like fucking like paralyzed on edibles kind of thing (laughs) and and, like i think for that reason i focused on some elements that like i hadn't really noticed before like hadn't fully appreciated on on previous watches so it kind of gave me a new perspective on certain things cool we can talk about all that after you walk me through the plot of ghostbusters (laughs) Uh, which if you can't do like I could do the dialogue of, so if you can't do, I'm going to be real fucking I mean, embarrassed yeah. for you. <laughs> this is one of these movies I've watched so many times. Like I know it beat for beat. So yeah, absolutely great. Yeah, it starts out with the library, and there's basically a ghost in the library. It's the gray lady, and that's the fucking like cold open for the movie. And then the we get introduced to these three guys: Ray Sands, Egon Spengler, and Peter Venkman, who are various degrees have various degrees of interest in paranormal investigation and they go they some of them work at or i guess they all work at the university to start out right yeah they're all at columbia Columbia. university so like we i think the the first we're introduced to peter first as he scams on a girl yeah and like fucking scene it's like the perfect character introduction for him like it is yeah i i literally wrote that like you here what i wrote was you know just from that first telepathy test scene exactly who peter venkman is especially when the dude with the fro actually gets one right and peter still shocks him yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's <laughs> like funny. that's 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 just uh, that's just amazing writing is what that is by dan Aykroyd and harold ramus yeah this is uh this is one of those like and probably and probably some some ad lib by uh, Bill Murray as well. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure there was just see that's like I think the difference between this and the 2016 version whereas like, the 2016 version feels like they was just like run the camera ad lib everything whereas like this one's more like we're doing the script and then Bill throws in a good shot and we're like yeah fuck it leave it. Yeah. So there you know what I mean like that's the difference between the two or well, that's the big difference between the two there's lots of differences between the two. <laughs> um okay uh, so yeah so, so right, yeah the, so it comes in <laughs> yeah. Then yeah, Ray comes in and interrupts him as he's trying to fucking get his dick wet and says, Oh my god, like and, and again, just from this introduction, you know exactly who Ray is. He's that like overly fucking exuberant, like just you know true thinks, believer. True believer, like acts like you know, is very cerebral, but also 
acts before he thinks, like lets his his id get ahead of him, kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And so he says, "Oh my God, we got to go look." And uh, they they go along with Egon to the library to investigate, and they you know, there's this really cool scene where they like go walk through the library and like find some ectoplasm. And well, he first, he asked her about her period. He asked the librarian about her period. <laughs> he which does. Is another like super Venkman <laughs> scene. Like it's like, we're just introducing these characters. Cause like right before that, you get the line of dialogue about Egon drilling the fucking hole through his head. Yeah. That would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. And it's like, it, it introduces you to that character perfectly. Also, you're like, yeah, I know who that guy is also. Yeah. So like we're a hundred percent on board with these characters five minutes into the movie you know yeah, what I mean? exactly yeah yeah and then the uh are you are you whatever your name is on your alice. period yeah alice, alice on your period straight like, right now. yeah does that have to do with anything back off man i'm a scientist <laughs> such a swarmy dick <laughs> yeah oh, i love it <laughs> <laughs> and so yes they end up and then they have this encounter with the gray lady where Ray's just like, doesn't fucking have any plan whatsoever and yeah. just uh, yells, get her. And they all jump at her and then they fucking like all shit their pants running out of the library. And then they uh, start thinking like, maybe, maybe we should actually like fucking make a business out of this essentially. Well, I guess, no, I guess shortly after that, is that when they like set the start the business? They go back right from there and get kicked out of the fucking uh, university. Right. Yes. They get kicked out of the university and then they're all like fucking dejected. And then they think, oh, yeah, then we should go into business for ourselves. Yes. They had the Jim Belushi speeches right there. Like, because yeah. this movie was intended for Belushi before yeah. like uh, Bill Murray came aboard. So, like, that's the one speech where I feel like that's the only thing they didn't change from that original script because it feels like a Belushi speech, not a. Well, they Bill kept Murray's the black guy. They just scaled him back significantly. Oh, there's also that, yeah. This, we could talk about when we eventually get to Winston, like yeah. three quarters of the way through the fucking movie or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So they, they go into business for themselves. And then uh, there's this supporting character, Dana Barrett, who is apparently the best paid fucking cellist in the entire world because she can afford like a fucking apartment overlooking central park yeah, and yeah. <laughs> uh she comes back one day after a rehearsal in like the i guess new york philharmonic or whatever and in her fridge there's a terror dog that uh looks at her and uh i mean it clearly her fridge has become like a portal to another dimension and the terror dog looks at her and says zool and she shits her pants oh after the uh she sees the commercial. Oh, right. Yeah. She sees the commercial on their TV. They go into business and they bought the firehouse and shit. And like, she walks yeah. in and she sees their fucking really horrifyingly stilted commercial. Yeah. And then like, yeah, the eggs and shit happen. Yeah. The, yeah. The eggs are frying on her counter, which is a cool effect. And, uh, yeah, she sees, uh, the terror dog in her fridge and the terror dog says one word Zool. And then she's like terrified to go back to her apartment. So she goes to Ghostbusters and, uh, they run some tests on her and like do some research on Zool and find out, that uh, Zool was like a cult member of this like demigod, like evil demigod Gozer. And then Pete goes back to her apartment, to Dana's apartment with her and like is clearly hitting on her the whole fucking time. I mean, it's Sigourney Weaver in 1984. Like who's not probably going to at least try and take a mild pass at the very least. You know, that was one thing I, I hadn't quite remembered was like, in this movie and especially in the second one, I was surprised that they got her to do like a topless scene. Like even she was wearing a bra in the second one, but still like that yeah. she, they were, you know, cause like she was a decent, well, I guess, yeah. Alien had come out by that point for sure. Yeah. So, this like, is, was, this is post alien pre aliens. So like, yeah. this is her first kind of like comedy really. Like this is the first time she, like she'd done all these serious well, movies before yeah. that. And she, and like, this was the first time she really did 
a big comedy. Yeah. And she's great um, in it. Like she, everybody, that's the like, yeah, we'll talk about it. But like the cast like, is just like, yeah, from top to bottom, fucking perfect. So absolutely. So Peter goes back to her apartment, and Zool is gone, and there's no more terror dog in her apartment. So like, yeah, we'll just keep in touch or whatever. And uh, in the meantime, Slimer is haunting the Sedgwick Hotel, and uh, so the guys all go and they catch Slimer after much hilarity and you know basically using like the proton packs and everything for the first time at that point yeah we're also introduced to janine uh, right before that i think like in order in a scene in the in the middle of that oh, right introduced yeah. to janine somewhere oh no i think it's been sigourney weaver walks in. Their, yeah who's hired as who's been hired on as their secretary at the firehouse yeah and Any pots uh, just kicking ass like everybody and that's when she uh actually is like oh my god you actually have a ghost and then does the we got one and hits yep. the hits yep. the alarm and everything and all the guys are like oh my god there's actually an actual ghost and yeah so they like bill murray gets or Venkman gets slimed by slimer and then they're all they end up tracking him to the ballroom and they just fucking wreck the ballroom while trying to, uh, while act, while they're not trying to, they do trap Slimer as like their first official like catch. Yeah, we're introduced to the "Don't cross the streams" here too, which, so, which comes true. into play. The the, eventually. the 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 Chekhov's gun is cocked in this scene for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and from there, we get to like a basically a montage scene where like paranormal activity is starting to spike across the city. They're getting busier and busier and there's more and more ghosts and stuff for them to catch. Along with that, they hire Winston because they figure that Winston's at because they figure, well, we need another dude to help us handle all this load phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> and also within there, Walter Peck, who is the erstwhile villain of the piece. Yeah. Um, the most libertarian movie ever where it's like the government's coming yes. to take this small land down. You know what I mean? that thought for sure it's, it's crazy. Um, walter peck's like oh my god you guys don't have a fucking license for like this fucking like nuclear containment unit or whatever oh and- jesus the equipment they have on hand is like baffling <laughs> like it's like at this point they'd be labeled fucking domestic terrorists you know what i mean because like from the gear they have in the basement so yeah so that like again set some things in motion that happen later on but like you know we're introduced to him and his character and the fact that like he doesn't trust what they're doing and thinks they're a fucking fraud basically it goes into like fucking hard motion at this point like people start getting possessed and like the party happens yeah exactly so yeah we're we're at this point like yeah paranormal activity is just ramping up and dana gets possessed by we find out that the building that dana lives in um and her neighbor lewis tully who is portrayed by rick moranis who's fucking hilarious Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about Rick Moranis in this movie because, oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> Both of them end up being uh, tapped by these the, the terror dogs, which end up being statues, gargoyles, basically, on the roof of this building that uh, shed their stone outer layer skin or whatever and end up becoming, you know, living, breathing, well, like demon, demon fucking dogs. dog creatures. Yeah. And uh, the one of them relatively uneventful. Well, I guess, like, they, the one of them possesses Dana by, like, trapping her in her chair and pulling her into a closet. Probably the scariest scene in the movie. Yeah, yeah, with the hands coming out of the chair and everything. And then the other one chases Lewis around (laughs) New York City. And the funniest scene in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And eventually possesses him. 
Um, and then they're so they're like possessed by these demon dogs now who are the gatekeeper and the key master who, when they come together, will open the portal to bring Gozer into our dimension. The least subtle innuendo I've ever heard in my life. Also. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And let's see. Well, see, at this point, like Vince or whatever you want to call him, Lewis ends up, ends up getting like he goes rampaging around the streets. <laughs> like a tax that costs that fucking carriage driver and stuff. Yeah. It's so fucking great. And yeah, uh, and yeah. it gets picked up by the cops and brought to the Ghostbusters the headquarters. Ghostbusters. While in the meantime, Peter is on his way to. He's made a date with Dana, and he goes off to meet her. He goes and finds her possessed and sleeping above her covers. Four yes, feet four above feet her above covers. covers. She barks. She throws. She claws. <laughs> it's not the girl, Peter. It's the building. <laughs> it's the building. Yeah. Oh, Harold Ramis. Every line, pure fucking gold, <laughs> my friend. Anyway, so uh, after that, um, Peck goes back and basically sets the apocalypse in motion, goes back to the uh, Ghostbusters with like a court order to turn off their containment unit, which is full of fucking ghosts, all the ghosts that they've been catching through these these montage sequences. And all these ghosts are set loose. And that sets into motion sort of the end game where just total chaos across the city and the key master and the gatekeeper Zool and Vince Clortho find each other and bang each other and that opens up the portal and the mayor's like what the fuck is happening why is this happening get me to get the ghostbusters fucking send them to take care of this shit and yeah that happens and the ghostbusters have this whole fucking hero scene and they go into the building and walk up fucking like 30 flights of stairs <laughs> yeah with 50 pound backpacks on and stuff like that. <laughs> with 50 pound nuclear accelerators strapped to their backs yeah beautifully emphasizes the schlubbery of these characters too like they're not really anything special like they're exhausted by like two floors up as they're carrying this crap and they're whining about it the whole fucking time like yeah <laughs> all that great stuff yeah Oh, we should say that. So the reason, all the reason that's happening in this building is because the building was designed by another cult member of Gozer's cult, who's yeah. Ivo Shandor, who's the boss in the uh, in the main, main antagonist in, in the video game that we talked about a few weeks back. And so, like, he's designed this building to basically be like an antenna to paranormal activity and ghosts, and to like usher to be the portal that Gozer will use to come into our world or the the ghostbusters world so the ghostbusters go and confront gozer like the most 80s fucking like ghost villain of all time yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and they they think that gozer asks them to choose the form that the destructor will take which is like what's what form will he take to destroy the world and ray decides on the safe up marshmallow man yeah well that's after they think that they've they've vaporized her oh yes that's right <laughs> so there's like the false like oh we did it that was easy and of course yeah. it wasn't and no. uh yeah then like gozer like fucking disembodied voice gozer says like choose the form of your destructor and everybody's like okay we just need to keep our minds clear and ray can't and he thinks about like the most like sort of peaceful and unharmful thing that he possibly can which is the stay puffed marshmallow man and the gozer turns that thought into a like fucking like 200 foot marshmallow yeah like, basically a kaiju goat like yeah. marshmallow man which is yeah. just <laughs> so perfect like yes yeah. which perfect. which starts walking around and steps on a church and then starts climbing up the building and then they're like oh man oh and then they uh uh set it on fire which is good 
Yeah, which is a nice uh, one. real, real productive. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, and then finally, they think, oh, the only way that we can stop this is by closing Gozer's portal. And by do to do that, they have to cross the streams. Bang! Chekhov's gun fires, and they uh, do cross the streams, even though it's incredibly risky. They all survive, and uh, they do end up shutting the portal down and destroying the Marshmallow Man, uh, which just like soaks the streets of New York city and they rescue Dana and Lewis from their terror dog, like shells and everybody lives happily ever after the end until five years later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So that's the question. Do we want to go right into ghostbusters two and just have like a broad conversation about both movies or do you want to talk about ghostbusters and then, uh, let's just do one. Then the other, cause they're going to be different discussions. Yeah, absolutely. So like, what works for you in this movie, aside from like every frame of it? I mean, it's been one of my favorite movies for many years. It's funny, it's spooky, it's well written, and it it just really fucking goes for it in terms of premise. Like it yeah. doesn't it doesn't hedge, doesn't hold back. It just fucking goes balls to the wall. Yeah, one big risk. This movie, like everything yeah. in this movie, is risky, and they all fucking like miraculously land. Because like when you hear the production story of this movie, where it's like they had ten months to make it, and it's like, how did this fucking work? Like, yeah. how did this fucking even come together? half this well and let alone being like one of the greatest movies ever made or whatever you want to call it yeah like it's it's pretty baffling and it is one of those movies like you know i think we we sort of uh we talked about for sure with blade runner 2049 how it's just one of those movies that just fires on every cylinder and this is another one of those for sure like cast writing pacing editing music like effects for the most part design production design all that sort of stuff is just like on fucking point and it just like it means that you're hardly ever if ever taken out of this movie like you're just immersed in it the whole way along yeah i was trying to think if there would be a point like even to like a new audience or like a modern audience they'd be like oh that's weird like it's taking me out of it and i'm like i i'm i'm too biased like i can't get far enough fucking away from this movie at this point to be like oh yeah that would be distracting like i don't find anything in this movie off-putting or distracting in that way there's a couple of the effect shots that don't necessarily hold up in like HD or probably in ultra HD, yeah. like, like amazing the, in 4k, but yeah. Yeah. Like some of the rotoscoping and stuff like that of like stop motion over the live action kind of thing. Like the one that, that always takes me out of it just a bit is like the terror dog chasing Lewis. Like there's some stuff with that, that that's a little weird because like you can tell very Stop much that like it was yeah. it was it was like lit separately and it's not really matching the lighting for the rest of that scene and that kind of thing and you can see the edges where it's been rotoscoped in and yeah. that kind of thing yeah those matte lines are a little apparent in some spots but yeah. the one thing that jumped out at me this time watching it in like 1080 on like a 65 inch tv is like there's some like little bits of like rock work here and there that are like okay that looks like it fucking came off a of star trek like original series set what there's a really like blatant shot at the in the finale as the rocks are falling, where like this huge hunk of rock hits a police like wood guardrail, like one of those horses, <laughs> and, and it bounces, bounces off. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's a piece of styrofoam. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, what are you gonna do? You know, what are you gonna do? But, what else? I, the one thing that struck me this time is just how fucking perfect the pacing is. Yeah it's how well it's edited both between yeah so just like between how well it's edited both within the scene between scenes and within scenes it's just edited perfectly for like just comedic effect yeah so that really helps you know you don't really get a chance to sit there and be like oh wait what about this or whatever like it's just you know it's it's not like it's it's not one of those like mad like mad max fury road sort of situations where you're just like 
holy shit, like my dick is hard for 90 minutes straight. But it's yeah, just like it's, it's got like the perfect like cadence of, you know, of, of high action to like a little bit of dip to let you get your breath and then right back to action or, or intrigue or whatever kind of thing. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Like it is. It's like the screenplay for this. I would love to get my hands on like the original screenplay pre like everybody doing all their ad libbing kind of thing in it. Yeah. Um, just to see exactly how tightly it was scripted this way, but like it is edited down to a fucking fine point where like you could ask questions about like, wow, they got famous really fast or like this, that, and the other thing. But like at the end of the day, you don't notice it when you're watching the movie, like even when you're watching it and you're, you're paying attention to like, Oh, like, yeah, they get famous really fast. And like, when is this party happening? Like, like that week. And they get famous within that week. How yeah. does that work? Like all that shit, but you're like, ah, fuck it. Who gives a shit? It's Ghostbusters. It's fantastic. <laughs> they never let you think about it, right? Like it's, it's cut in a way that you just, you're like, whatever. If there is that there, you can yeah. write it off as montage stuff. Like, oh, it's a little bit longer, but eh. and it's also New York, right? Like if something like that happened in New York, it'd be like this big fucking deal on, especially locally. Cause New York such as like a little city state to itself that like, it would be a big news story, maybe just in New York for that week. And that's yeah. why they got so fucking famous. And then, who knows? Well, and you know, talking about the montages, but that's one of the things that like always sticks out to me. To me, in both of these movies, is the use of montage sequences is super effective in both cases. You know, it's stuff that like very much does like you know, it's stuff that you don't need every single detail on, but yeah. it helps you to get you from okay, this is where we started this montage, and this is where we end it. You know, this this is what the state of things are now. You know, yeah. after we've gone through this, which is just you know, it's 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 again, it's effective writing and effective storytelling. Yep. So, uh, yeah, and like that's, I mean, there's just more stuff like the world building in this movie, like in terms of the writing and stuff like that. Like everything, I mean, it's obviously Dan Aykroyd, like writ insanely large even <laughs> if it is kind of restrained and i never really thought about it until much later but like how lovecrafty the main story is like where it's like an eldritch abomination coming yeah. down and these weird mad scientists go to fight it and stuff like that this is all lovecraft stuff that like if you're not that familiar with it and obviously none of the lovecraft stuff's ever done as a comedy like it doesn't track where you're like oh yeah i totally pick up on all this lovecrafty stuff whereas when you look back at it and you're thinking about it you're like oh yeah this is a lot of lovecraft in here so yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, part of that is just tonally, it just works perfectly. Like it's an, it's a perfect mix. And again, this is part of because of the writing and pacing, but like just it's the perfect mix of comedy and horror and a little bit of sci-fi uh, and that. And so all of that together is just, it's just, it's just a beautiful chemistry that all those work together with. Yeah. It's really smart about balancing, especially yeah. the horror and the like comedy too, right? Where like, like even in the introduction, like there's nothing funny. There's no funny bit in that scene where the librarian is accosted by the ghost, right? Like there's no there's no haha in there, and then there's not much haha until you get to Venkman, and then like that's where the jokes start. But that's not so you're forced by the screenplay to treat the threat very seriously, and that's to both movies' benefit. Yeah, like they both do that. Where like you're always supposed to treat the supernatural threat seriously, and the comedy comes from like the sarcasm of these three fucking performers for or whatever performers are on screen. Yeah. Kind of reacting to the situation in a Rye New Yorker kind of way. And you're like, yeah, this, everything's fucking hilarious because of that. Yeah. And it does such a good job of when things are getting, you know, when there is a little bit too much levity and you're starting to feel like, okay, maybe there's not like, maybe this threat isn't very serious. You get like, get a scene that you need to put the danger in perspective. You get that scene with like Ray and Egon driving an Ecto talking about like the revelations and judgment. Ray and Winston. And like that. <laughs> Ray and Winston. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Cause Ray, it's uh there's two back-to-back scenes where they have, uh, well, it's a couple 
scenes that are like that in this movie that I, I like to call out because they they effectively do like the Buffy job of making the threat plausible or like credible. Mm-hmm. And it's the scene right before where Peter and Egon are on the phone talking about their two possessed friends at this point. Yeah. And they're like, you can see Peter's joking, but you can see he's concerned. And Egon's yeah. like, we are fucked. We are fucked. We need to get this shit together. Like we are yeah. fucked. I think, yeah, I think getting these two together would be extraordinarily bad. Yeah. Like he's, <laughs> he's clearly like, he's upset about what's going on. And then like you have, cause he's, they've had that scene with Janine where he's like, she tells him she's psychic, which is hilarious yeah. at that point <laughs> like, that he's going to die and stuff. And yeah. then you have this scene with Ray and Winston. So like all the ghostbusters kind of have like these scenes kind of together where they're like, Oh shit, this is like, this isn't funny. haha anymore. Like we're fucked. Like yeah. we need to figure this out or we're all dead. So, yeah. and then even later, like we talked about the scene where they're in jail and they're kind of laying out the real plot, like the evil Shandor plot. And like, what all this stuff is. And it's like this nice grounded scene where they're just having a conversation very realistically about like, this stuff is all happening. This is why it's happening. We need to get the fuck out of here and deal with it. Cause nobody else fucking can, even yeah. if we can, we're not even sure if we can, but we're better equipped theoretically than anybody else is to go deal with this. So let's go deal with it, I guess. But it makes the, like the horror of the situation kind of ground itself in you a little bit more than if they were, you know, just constantly, fucking muttering like rambling over each other i'm not just trying not to critique ghostbusters 2016 because this is like <laughs> it does tries to do the same thing and all the jokes are just like them sniping at each other over top of it i'm like oh stop talking and let it sink in okay you know what i'm just gonna watch 1984 again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but those scenes are like my favorite scenes in the movie where you really get that sense of like oh shit like yeah we're having fun with Venkman and like you know egon collects his spores and stuff but like this is serious and we have to treat that part seriously, even if there's going to be jokes. Spores, mold, and fungus. All, all three, you know. Gotta... <laughs> um, it, well, and even when it does, you know, lean harder into the uh, the humor side of things, it's a really good mix of humor. Like, it's not all one style of humor. There's definitely a chunk, you know, a huge chunk of, like, physical slapstick comedy. There's, like, some scenes, like, the, when they're all, like, running out of the library at the start like it, it's it's practically fucking vaudevillian right yeah it's like benny hill almost but yeah you, you it's, get to it's that min- yeah. yeah exactly like but there's also like a good chunk of entendre there's like all the yeah all the fucking just venkman's just dripping sarcasm and just like so much humor just in the way that the characters interact with each other as well so what else can we talk about? Because there's just so much to talk about. I mean, do you want to just get into cast? Because that's like yeah, absolutely. part of why this movie works. So do you want to start at the top or you want to start at the bottom? <laughs> we can start with Bill Murray or do you want to start with who's on my <laughs> list as the bottom? I guess Rick Moranis, because whatever. But like we can start with the Ghostbusters. Like, I mean, Bill Murray, I mean, he fucking loads this movie on his shoulders and kind of carries it the whole way through like well he's got a lot of support from like a spe- like i always say harold ramus is like the dark horse of this movie oh, in yeah. terms of like the humor and stuff like that because he he fucking crushes that egon he gets some of the best lines and he and he delivers them just so well so dry yeah absolutely yeah. so I'm, I'm i'm on board for those two guys Ackroyd plays his role exactly the way he's supposed to and yeah. it's so dan Ackroyd too when again like venkman is like and again, this is par- partially Bill Murray's performance, but it's partially how they've chosen to edit it. Is he's the one that that I think you know you you honed in really well with Dana. Like y- he's still joking, but you can tell that he's genuinely concerned. So yeah, like yeah. they use him as the audience like gauge, right? 
you know, they're like, this is how concerned you should be at this stage. Like, this is how serious you should take what's happening right now. You know, this isn't like this scene is just fucking like Ray being an idiot and like going off the deep end kind of thing. But like in this scene, like Peter's like, oh, wait, like Ray's really shaken here that I should be fucking scared by that. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's that, that's the jail scene, right? Like, yeah, he, ha- he yeah. has that realization in the jail scene where he's like, oh, shit. And then he starts doing this. So be good because he's got every time that things get to he's him, gotta he's got to, def- well, he's got to diffuse it with humor. That's his character, right? You know, he's like, and he can't just fucking like face it. He's got to like joke about it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Dickless will attest to that. So <laughs> it's true. This man has no man dick. Has no dick. Oh. <laughs> It's so, so quotable. Well, I mean, we can go to we can go to Peck then, because Peck is such an easy to hate villain on the face of it. But like you, you're right. exactly right. In 2020, in like it's kind of frightening that we're in a time where like the EPA is considered evil in real life by like a large portion of the American population. But like realistically speaking, yeah, he's probably got some genuine concerns about their fucking operation. Yeah, oh, he probably should have turned it over to the Nuclear Commission once he realized like what was going on. Because yeah. and I think that's outside the EPA's purview a little bit. <laughs> I may be wrong. I don't know, but but he's just such a fucking like like cocky prick about it that like it's so easy to you know get get against him. Yeah, and that guy like William Atherton, the actor who plays Peck in this, like ended up playing like the dickhead asshole villain in like almost every movie he played in, like going forward from this. Like he's in Die Hard like a year later. Or a couple years later, as the the reporter who gets punched in the fucking face. I don't know if he actually ever does, but I would lay good money that at some point in the eighties, William Matherson probably played a like an asshole dean at a college. Oh god, I would imagine so. I'd have to look up his. I, I'd put money on that. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like I'm forgetting Animal House or something like that. Was he in Animal House as the dean? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like uh, Egon's fucking amazing. Like he's just. So, the delivery of Harold Ramis is just so perfect. Winston even helps to temper things as well in terms of like, you know, when things start getting like really crazy, here's Winston, this everyman character to like fucking ground everything and bring it back down to earth a little bit more. Well, I, until, until like I've seen shit that'll turn you white, which is like <laughs> such a fantastic line. <laughs> it is. But again, like, you know, it's, it's that everyman guy who's like, yeah. listen, dude, when I came in here, I was just in it for the fucking paycheck. But like, yeah, I'm a believer kind of thing. Like it's like, I've seen some shit. Yeah. Like he's seen some stuff at that point. So it's, you know, it's the equivalent of the line in, I guess for, yeah. For, in force awakens where Harrison Ford is like, no, it's real. All of it. Like all that force shit I thought was total fucking horseshit, but it's, it's all a hundred percent legit. Yeah. And it's pretty yeah. credible when it comes from Han Solo. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. So what else? I mean, Janine, I fuck. So one thing that going through this time is I realized like, this is a, decently fucking feminist movie for 1984 yeah like it, it, yeah all the main protagonists are male but like the characters the female characters like are not totally 1d they do have some agency uh like peter not letting dana slash zool take advantage of him because he knew she wasn't in her right mind like that's a great example of informed consent f- for kids of the 80s yeah, actually, like, compare that to fucking like Porky's, for instance, yeah, like absolutely. <laughs> or some shit like that, or any movie where like there's you know dudes like spying on girls in a shower or some shit like that. Yeah, and like I love, I fucking love the Janine character. She's sarcastic as fuck, and she's just straight up throwing her pussy at Egon. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I have the biggest crush on Annie Potts after this movie. Like I to this day still have kind of a crush on Annie Potts because of this movie. She's like fantastic. I don't know. I yeah. adore. I definitely had a massive crush, especially like you know I could out of all the characters in this movie, like Lewis was probably one of the ones I most identified with as a kid. He's like a fucking like total nerd and into nerdy yeah. shit and girls weren't into me or whatever. So like when Janine fucking like pounces on him in the second movie and like comes on him like super hard, I was like, I like this girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of felt bad. Cause I was like, I wanted her to hook up with Egon. Cause like, Egon's always been my guy. I was like, I'm an Harold Ramis, like fucking Stan or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What Rick now. Yeah. Egon is uh is is married to the science. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. He's the Vulcan of the group. It's probably why, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for cling sure. to him. So there's that. No, I um, think yeah. Like Rick Moran and like Rick Moran is in this movie. It's just like frenetic and nuts and like you can't take your fucking eyes off. He almost he steals every scene he's in, basically. Like Every scene he's in, he steals, which is just like, like the running gags, like locking himself out of the fucking apartment up. constantly is so good. And the one thing, one thing again, I noticed some new stuff on this is just like how sleazy he is. Oh, like, yeah. He's in, inviting, back. yeah, like inviting his clients to his party instead of his friends and then telling them that he's done that. Like that they're, they're not his friends, they're just his clients. I'm throwing them as a promotional. <laughs> <laughs> And then when people come in, he starts like I. And again, this is something I never would have picked up as a kid. But yeah, now, yeah. like seeing like him introducing people at his party by like telling everybody their financial or all all the other guests the financial like history of the people that just arrived. Like, who the fuck would do that? Just he's such an idiot. Like that's why you love him, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he is. You know, that's one of those things you don't really think about. Like he is kind of a scumbag too. Like everybody's in this movie's got a little bit of sleaze on them, which is yeah. There's a reason that he doesn't have any fucking friends, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then he clings onto the Ghostbusters for like dear life afterwards too, because he's still around oh. in the second one. Like he has no reason to still be around them in the second he's their one. Lawyer and their accountant, and yeah, he's their lawyer and accountant. So and clearly he started like idolizing them, right? Because like, well, I guess yeah. it's also probably. And I love that, and and we're getting ahead of ourselves in the second one, but where Janine encourages him, like you can tell Janine still has a thing for Egon. She puts him in Spangler's outfit, yeah, in yeah. Spangler's fucking like jumpsuit, and sends him off to be like be the hero, just because yeah. like she wants to play out that fantasy of like saying i banged a ghostbuster <laughs> sure who doesn't want to bang a ghostbuster you know yeah what else the theme song obviously is super iconic you know the that ray parker jr tune is is fantastic but elmer bernstein's score makes this movie like just add so much to this movie for me like yeah. it uses theremin to give you like that sort of campy like yeah spooky horror feel but it's like that spooky kind of goofy tone, which is yeah. exactly what fucking Ghostbusters is. So that really stood out to me this this viewing, and then like that uh that little piano theme where it's the the do 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 like that is just yeah. so so. It's like a little rag or something like that. I don't know what you would call it specifically, yeah. but yeah, it's a little like piano rag that they have kind of underlying some of the like Ghostbusters interacting scenes, and it's just fucking hilarious. Well, it feels it feels like you know it's it's a new york sort of riff or whatever right like it almost feels like rhapsody in blue like it's that like big yeah. city kind of like piano like jaunty little piano riff kind of thing yeah and that was actually one of the conversations we had on the the other pot like when we talked about this 200 and whatever episodes <laughs> yeah, ago four like, four and a half years ago or some shit yeah uh new york 
in this movie where like you really get the feeling for like gritty shitty like 80s new york yeah oh it's a character on its own for sure and which is yeah. something i'll bring up especially when we get to the second one yeah whereas like yeah like i don't think any movie really captures that quite as well as this one does it's such like a new york movie like it feels like a new york movie well i mean there's very i would say there's no other comedy maybe that grabs new york the way that this does there's yeah. definitely you know there's shit like like what uh, like drugstore cowboy or shit like that or like yeah, dramas yeah. that grab that like gritty fucking like 70s 80s or even even you know as much as we fucking maligned joker like and you know it's technically they're saying it's gotham like that yeah. very much grabbed that 70s gritty fucking nasty new york feel too well that's because it's just taxi driver yeah with the guy in face paint yep. which is also another movie that you know evokes new york yeah. enormously so like yeah. yeah but yeah like in terms of a comedy i don't think you really see that kind of stuff where like the they couldn't set this anywhere else and have the same like it wouldn't work the same way if you put it in like la or chicago or maybe chicago yeah, chicago maybe like, yeah but not not any west coast city or yeah for sure yeah it, it definitely has to be like a new york like a North can't have ghostbusters seattle or ghost yeah like portland or some shit i think the one that they always that somebody actually made a movie it's like a fan film it's like ghostbusters salt lake city and i'm like oh my god just all like mormon shit. ghosts and shit yeah oh my god, <laughs> oh my god. the one thing other thing i noticed this time through is that there's a few like it's not like super impressively shot, but it's got enough decently impressive shots, like cinem- cinematographically. Well, who the it's um, oh, Laszlo something was the uh, cinematographer on this. Yeah, I got the. He was like a big name cinematographer that Ivan Reitman hired to do this. Laszlo Kovacs was his name, and okay. he also did. I mean, he's great in this, obviously, but he was a. a I think he was a pretty common uh, Ivan Reitman collaborator but his career goes back to like hungarian yeah 1964 or something like that so like yeah, okay. he was doing this shit for a long time um oh, he, he did easy did, rider yeah he also did yeah he did like easy rider and butch and sundance and like he did mask i guess whatever yeah yeah he did he oh man looks like, yeah, he must have passed away at some point but like he shot miss congeniality craziness but yeah this movie like is very like it benefits from his lens work like it it shot the one that really jumped out to me this time was that tracking shot around Dana when she sits in the chair and yeah. then the hand start right just before the hand start coming out is actually pretty, or, and then, uh, and then she gets pulled into the closet. Like most of that is done in a single shot. It's the kitchen. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess that makes yeah. sense, but in through a doorway anyways. And then like, as you come around behind her POV to see that glowing door in yeah. front of her and everything, like that's a really effectively shot scene for sure. Yeah. We didn't really talk about Sigourney Weaver, who, I mean, we talked about her while we were doing the plot, but we didn't talk in depth about her performance. She's kind of the straight man. She's great. She plays, yeah, she plays the straight man against this bunch of fucking goofs. Yeah. And she's excellent. She does it super it. well. Yeah. Yeah. Takes Considering. Shit. Like, that's my favorite part. It's just like the way she completely plays off Fankman the entire time. I'm like, yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Because in any other movie in the mid 80s or whatever, if you had that smarmy, sarcastic, like, dude, the fucking like leading lady would just fall from hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. So but, it, yeah, there's a decent amount of tropes aversion in these, and in this case, like she's very much like not buying it off the bat kind of thing. Yeah. Until he yeah. softens up and like actually like shows his worth to her kind of thing. Well, yeah, he you know saves the world, which yeah. is I mean, if you're trying to show somebody your worth, I guess if you get the opportunity to stop like a Lovecraftian <laughs> dark god Elder or Elder Char, God, or, yeah, yeah, from like 
completely eliminating life on earth then there you go seems yeah. like he'd be worthy <laughs> that's some zelda <laughs> shit you know that's a <laughs> that guy's worthy effects wise i mean it is a effects heavy movie um it holds up pretty well for me 20 or what 35 plus years later yeah um it's a really good mix of practical effects and uh like you know after the like post you know it's not like cgi or anything but like uh like light effects and like rotoscoping yeah. on the on the cells after the fact that kind of there's thing. some effects that i still think actually look better than what you would see now like if you compare like the neutrona beam or like the like the go the proton. catching game the proton stream and even the trap to like what you get in like the 2016 movie or whatever where it's so cgi and like almost too perfect i like that hand-drawn whipping like it's almost kind of frenetic and out of control version Mm -hmm. of it that you get in these it's got its own charm yeah and like i I don't that's one where i'm like ah well those look fine i would never replace those there's some ghost effects that like i would like to be cleaned up a little bit more but i find these ghosts more effective as like they look more like what i would want ghosts to look like i guess yeah the design the ghost design in this is really good and also i found watch on this watch here in particular i had a uh real appreciation for the puppetry that go- went into a lot of those uh ghost yeah. characters as well was was really well done yeah like specifically like those terror dogs look so good the terror dogs like slimer like so many of them it's just one of those things that as a kid you don't think like how did they do that like oh there's you know puppeteers that were doing that oh no i was obsessed with how they did that as a kid like yeah. I, that was like my thing i wanted to know but like that's yeah. who i am at this point it's still like i want to go do <laughs> fucking special effects and design movies and shit so yeah and just some fucking beautiful matte paintings as well that's one of the things I, I actually wrote in there along with design was just like, there's some matte paintings in here that are just like really sure. stunning. In some time, like until like, UHD, I was like, wait, that's a matte painting or like partially a matte painting. Mm-hmm. Cause like even the scene where like the, you see the containment unit breach from the roof, a lot of that are surrounded by just matte paintings. And like, yeah. you would never see them or notice them unless you really were like, Oh yeah, that is a matte painting of the state Puff marshmallow man billboard back there. Like that makes sense. Yeah, that that was the first time that I'd caught that Marshmallow Man, or at least the one that's like on the side of a building or whatever. Yeah, I hadn't actually yeah. caught that ad until this watch through. Like I'd oh, obviously really? noticed it like on the the bag of marshmallows in uh, Dana's apartment, but yeah, yeah, you see it like off kind of center in a couple shots, but like there's yeah. a, there's one shot like an establishing shot of I think it's the firehouse where like in the background you can see mm. the Marshmallow Man kind of off to the side. It's like oh fuck, he's like everywhere in this movie ahead of time. Like yeah. there teasing it from the beginning and the other matte painting that always uh gets me is the one of their of dana and lewis's building where it's got like the one corner that's all like blown out that's like a physical set and then everything else behind it is the matte painting like the dark skies and everything kind of is just that's such a good shot too even the uh the skyline behind them when they're on the roof is a big matte painting so like it's just yeah. Like kind of a it's okay. a, one of those affected ones where they've got some like prop stuff to kind of give it dimensionality a bit, but it's still, mm-hmm. yeah, essentially like a giant matte painting of the New York skyline that they are completely surrounded by. It's almost like the prototype version of that fucking screen thing they used to shoot the Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. So they had to, somebody had to fucking paint that goddamn thing by hand. <laughs> it's not just like oh, we did it on real engine. Yeah, that's one of those ones that you have to wonder, like if it was made specifically for this, or if it's something that they had on hand from other productions or something like no, that. If you watch the stuff, they produced the bat painting and that set completely for this movie. Oh shit! They spent a ton of money on this movie for the day, like twenty-five million dollar budget for nineteen eighty-four is yeah, like it's a lot of fucking money for yeah. 
like what is essentially a Saturday Night Live comedy. <laughs> that's what, like that's and this movie kind of started that like fad where they just started grabbing Saturday Night Live people and like let's put them on TV kind of stuff or put them yeah. in the movies because I don't remember seeing any SNL alum getting like you know Wayne's World or Coneheads or whatever horseshit came out in like the eighties like later eighties and nineties before these guys made Ghostbusters. And I guess Stripes to a certain extent, but like Stripes and Ghostbusters, like with Ivan Reitman. Caddyshack. Yeah, Caddyshack. Yeah. I mean, that's Bill Murray. That's Brandon. all Bill Murray, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, Harold Ramis wrote, he wrote Stripes. So, yeah. I mean, he might have done a co like a, a writing pass on Caddyshack. But Ramis too. wasn't on uh, SNL, was he? No, he's a second city guy. Yeah. But like still the same bunch of improv dorks. You know, yeah. sorry, Christy. But... <laughs> Yeah. Effects wise, I remember being really blown away as a kid on that uh, by that effect shot with like the street breaking up under the Ghostbusters in front yeah. of the in front of their building. And the other thing that it, to this day it is, I mean, obviously it's pretty clear how they did it, but it's just a really cool effect is the like charred terror dog shells that uh, Dana and Lewis start like pushing out of kind of thing. Yeah. Like yeah. Like the only problem I have is like in high def you can see the the plaster seams. Yeah, you can. Up. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, no, I can not. You could have sanded that down a little bit more. <laughs> Always, yeah, I was like, There's, that could have been sanded a little bit better. But like, yeah, you know, what are you going to do? Teradog still scared the shit out of me as a kid. I honestly, that like that model or like that, whatever you want to call it, design is still like it freaks me out a little bit to look at even now. Like it's kind of an off-putting thing to look at. Like it's gross. The texture of the skin looks like it looks like it's made out of shit, basically. Yeah. And, like, and the, those big red eyes and stuff like that. It's like it's a nasty looking fucking creature. So. And the sound design on it. I mean, the sound design overall is amazing, but like the sound, oh, yeah. like, like the, my the barking, the fucking proton pack turning on. So like, yeah, you know. the bark, but the barking on those terror dogs. Like we, I mean, we talked about this during the game, like how iconic, not just the soundtrack itself, but like the, you know, the sounds and sound design of these movies are like the proton packs, the traps, the ecto siren, all of that have become, you know, you hear them and you immediately think Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's like, what do you call it? Like Pavlov's, like the bell kind yeah. of thing. You're yeah. just like, oh shit, Ghostbusters. That's fantastic. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to do this to you right now, right, right there. Oh, wait. <laughs> fucking phone's silent. <laughs> that didn't work. No, that's not it. There we go. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've got a little effect thing on my phone that I fuck with every once in a while. Just cause <laughs> I get bored. And this, so this time through, you know, talking about the effects, it was the first time that it really sort of like, it's one of those things I just never really thought about before, but that the Stay Puft suit is basically like, it's just a fucking like kaiju. It's a dude in a yeah. fucking suit. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And it's amazing to me to think that they've, it looks like they legit set that on fire for some shots. <laughs> there actually, there's some stories in like, if you watch the commentary where they're like, yeah, a couple of those suits really caught on fire when we were doing this stunt and <laughs> the guy inside the suit, not super happy with us about it. And that kind of stuff is like, we didn't think it would, we thought it'd be enough insulation, but yeah, we didn't use real insulation. I guess they didn't do it right or something like that. And the guy yeah. kind of got a little, not cooked, but like hot, I guess. So yeah. either way. Um, yeah, I don't know. So fucking awesome. <laughs> I just want like, there's the industrial design of like, I, I believe everything they build, all that stuff, like the proton packs mm. and traps and like, stuff we were kind of talking about in terms of the effects. But like, I love the look of the gear. Like it, to this day, it's still like one of my favorite, like prop design kind of, things like the proton pack and the trap are like iconic prop designs that hold up to this day like to the point where like when they redesigned them for the the 2016 movie i was like why bother like just <laughs> minorly updated a little bit why are you giving yeah. them little like baby pro like baby backpacks give them like 
the big beasts. Yeah. yeah, those boys carry 50 pounds of shit around. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, let's do this for real. Like, you're just cobbling this crap together from stuff you found at Radio Shack. Like, <laughs> yeah, the particle accelerators you find at Radio Shack. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how the how fucking Egon. I, you, at that point, you have to insinuate he stole shit from Columbia <laughs> to build like nuclear accelerators that they can walk around with. Yeah. So there you go. I don't know <laughs> how you want to take that one, but all right, <laughs> we've pulled this movie quite a bit, and I'm probably I'm sure we could probably go for another hour blowing this particular movie. Um, do you have any gripes that you want to get into before we dive into Ghostbusters two and gripe a lot? So, <laughs> I mean, really, it's just that like I mentioned the couple of effect shots that don't really hold up for me. Um, but I mean, there's it's not because it's more a comedy than it is horror or sci-fi i'm willing to overlook a lot more like effects stuff than i would normally yeah not particularly i guess the only other thing that kind of jumped out to me this time and maybe this is a weird you know just plot convenience kind of thing is that like i guess in hindsight like egon and ray probably should have connected the containment grid to a backup like generator or something yeah yeah, yeah. maybe you know, if if that if they knew that was what was going to happen, if it like heaven forbid, there's ever a fucking blackout in New York City, and then they fucking like cause a blackout in the next movie. Yeah, which we'll get to. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, I can't think of anything that like really takes me out of it. Like even that stuff, I'm like, eh, eh. You wouldn't have a movie if they had Again. a backup. So well, like, I mean, you know, they're they're clearly flying by the seat of their pants. So like, yeah. I guess I can believe that like they just hadn't thought about that contingency or whatever. So. Yeah. Until the first like New York City summer kicks in and like everybody's like rolling brownouts yeah. and they're like, oh <laughs> shit, we're gonna have a problem in July or whatever. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Cool. So let's move on to 1989's Ghostbusters two briefly. And like, do you want to want to synopsis me this plot also? Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Got you, fucker. <laughs> so Ghostbusters 2 uh, it takes place five years later and the Ghostbusters have broken up because like they thought they were going to make it big but they got slapped by like massive fines by the city for the destruction that they caused at the end of the first movie uh, and sounds like they basically went bankrupt uh, so like Ray's running an occult bookstore and like him and Winston have like a side hustle of like appearing as the Ghostbusters at kids birthday parties for like 40 bucks a pop or some shit. <laughs> and uh, Egon is back doing like research, like uh, psychology uh, research. And uh, Peter is hosting a like cable access sh- uh, show for like amateur psychics or some bullshit like that. So we pick up with uh, Dana and she has married the like lame dude. She was sort of dating, I guess in the first movie. It was a straight guy. Yeah. And, but is already divorced with him because he fucking went off to Europe and, but she has a kid now that's like eight months old. His name's Oscar. And she's got him in like a bassinet and, or in a stroller and the stroller encounters uh, some slime on the road that is, psychoactively charged and it like takes off and runs through traffic and she starts shitting her pants a lot of pants shitting in these movies yeah well i mean it's a ghost movie like yeah (laughs) there's gonna be some like soil briefs i think yeah so she goes uh back to the ghostbusters um but tells them like well it goes back to like egon and ray and says like don't tell peter and peter of course eventually does find out that they're helping her with her little problem and uh they find uh they go to where the slime was well, they go to where the the bassinet stops i think and they start drilling yeah. 
for this. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they go. Yeah, and they they uh, start drilling into the street, and yeah, which is just like the fucking audacity. They're just yeah. fucking like carve a fucking hole in First Avenue. I love that fucking line though, where he's like, "There's so many fucking holes at First Avenue. We didn't think anybody we didn't think noticed. Everybody noticed." Yeah, I'm like you know what? I've been through fucking construction in a big city in the summertime. Yeah, you probably could just go randomly start drilling a hole in the street and put a couple construction signs up, yeah. and nobody would bother you for like days like yeah. days and they uh they lower winston into the street and uh he ends up in an old That's like uh they lower ray into the street and he ends up in an old like abandoned pneumatic subway station uh that is has a river of pink slime rolling through it and he gets a sample of it and they uh them back up and they start doing experiments on the slime and find that it is psychoactively charged that it responds to emotion basically when you get it angry egon fucks the slime we have to <laughs> yes, make sure they call sleep. out they he does sleep with the slime yeah, yeah. <laughs> which like <laughs> that's why he doesn't need janine right he's got a nice warm psychoactive slime that he can use as a cock sleeve that bit alone almost makes this movie worthwhile. Just <laughs> for the look on Bill Murray's face when he realizes oh, what they're implying. Oh, you, you <laughs> hound. All right. And yeah, so they find out that the slime like reacts to emotion and that it's like flowing under the entire city. And during all of this, um, Dana is working as an art restorer because apparently if you can do one art, you can just do all the arts. I. <laughs> so she, I mean, <laughs> she's taking a break from the symphony to restore like classical works of art. And there's this painting that uh, gets rolled in that has been in storage. That is uh, Vigo the Carpathian, who's a 16th century tyrant and magician. And the painting is possessed by the spirit of Vigo and uh, ends up sort of possessing uh, Dana's boss, uh, Janosch, this like generic Eastern European dude. What are you talking about? It's from the Upper West Side. Yeah. (laughs) And the whole plot of Janos and Vigo is that they will take Dana's baby and possess him so that uh, Vigo can be reborn in the 20th century and, you know, retake control of the world or whatever with his magical powers. I don't know. It's kind of fucking vague. Yeah, it's a little like nebulous about <laughs> what we're doing here, but hey, hey, you got to get a Ghostbusters plot somehow, and yeah, they obviously weren't paying a lot of money to like write a new script because this is just a different, the same script as the last movie with names <laughs> changed and lo- names yeah. and locations changed a little bit. So, so the slime like is an extension of Vigo, and at one point the slime like tries to steal the baby. Tries to steal. Well, you're Oscar. skipping over the Ghostbusters getting back into business. For like, they have they go to oh, court yeah. for drilling the hole in the thing. Right. And, yeah, yeah. They go to court, right. and and during the court session, the slime spits out two uh, spits out the Scolari brothers that uh, are two criminals that the judge had sentenced Executed. to the electric chair. Yeah. Yeah. And Lewis is their lawyer in a fucking just hilarious turn of events, yeah. and he's totally fucking ineffectual as you would imagine. Sir Winston pops back into the movie also, like he just shows up to like yeah. push the fuck or whatever. <laughs> like why, yeah. why is he even there? <laughs> and basically, the he, they get the judge to like clear the injunction against them and like that's preventing them from operating as the Ghostbusters by saying like, look, if you want us to fucking take care of these ghosts, then you gotta like 
you know, you got to lift all those restraining orders. Yeah. Lift all those restraints. And so they, they do. And so they capture the ghosts again and, or they, they capture those ghosts and then they get back into business as the ghostbusters again. And similar montage to the first movie where there's like an increase in psychoactive, you know, paranormal activity throughout the city that, you know, causes them to be busy again. And yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole like drawn out thing where the baby is in danger and multiple attempts to like abduct it. And then ultimately Janos abducts the fucking baby dressed as like a creepy spectral nanny. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's real weird. I skipped over the part that we already referenced earlier where uh, while they were digging under the city, they fucking caused a blackout that, blacked out all of new york city yeah uh, and that's that's what ends up i think like landing them in court pretty much well i mean the the giant hole they dug in a new york city street that was unauthorized yeah <laughs> didn't help yeah ultimately the guys go back to winston and egon and ray go back to explore the river of slime and they get sucked into it and they realize that it leads directly to the museum that dana works in where the painting of Vigo is being restored and where it's possessed Janos and everything. The mayor's assistant has the Ghostbusters committed to get them fucking like out of the picture because he's just sick of them. And the mayor and then like well pandemonium starts again. Janos, right? like, yeah, Janos has the baby, the fucking like museum gets encased in the like pink slime, and then like fucking yeah, like just pandemonium, like the the ghost Titanic arrives at the port in New York City and Cheech Cheech Marin's there. Yeah, and Cheech Marin says, Better late than never. <laughs> <laughs> this one game is like Ben Stein's in this movie has like one line. Like yeah. <laughs> oh, that was real weird for me too. I was like, yeah. Why is Ben Stein here? And it's like one fucking line. Yeah. And then the mayor's like, well, obviously we need the fucking Ghostbusters. And the mayor's assistant, like Prick, who's basically the Walter Peck of this movie, yes. is like, oh, sorry, I put them in an asylum. And then dude gets fired and says, and basically exactly the same as the last movie. The mayor's like, I need the Ghostbusters. Yeah. So the Ghostbusters uh, go and figure out like we can't get into the fucking museum how are we going to do this and then it gets like real touchy-feely it's new year's eve at this point and they uh go and you know they figured out that they can use the slime to animate inanimate objects so they go and they spray the entire inside of the statue of liberty with the pink slime and then play your love is lifting me higher by jackie wilson to get it all pumped up because apparently the slime loves that song and then they like I guess. I, I mean, it's another kaiju, basically. Yeah, this entire scene is like where I die inside. It, as, <laughs> it, this, I hate this scene. Like, it's the whole Statue of Liberty thing just does not work for me at all. It's so <laughs> hokey. Eh, I mean, it's definitely hokey, but I'm I don't hate it. So they march the Statue of Liberty to the museum and like use it to rally the people of New York to like weaken the slime to the point where they can like use the Statue of Liberty's torch to smash through the skylight of the museum and then go in and uh, have a confrontation with Vigo. That's pretty fucking anticlimactic. Yeah. It's also the only time you see Venkman in costume in the entire movie. I just want to put that. Out. Yeah, yeah he doesn't put the Bill Murray did not want to put that fucking uniform back on. Apparently, well, so. he spends like most of the movie just trying to fucking like bang Dana, basically. 
Yeah, well, I mean, so, again, Sigourney Weaver, so like, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. So, yeah, the uh, Vigo's trying to possess Oscar, and they try and stop him, and they, you know, take the baby away, and ultimately they are able to defeat Vigo in a real anticlimactic way. They don't even cross the streams this time. No, they just fucking shoot him with the fucking proton streams, and he, like, goes back and well after he possesses ray and then they yeah. slime they slime ray with the positively charged slime to get vigo out of him and then vigo goes back into the painting and then they just proton stream the painting and it vigo goes away the end yeah lame, lame yeah <laughs> all right so i mean what are your thoughts on ghostbusters too like i'm i'm always like the i'm fine that i'm happy it exists but like, I really wish they had done. There's so much you can do with this concept, right? Like Ghostbusters, especially when you have these actors still able to do it. There's so many ways you could go to just redo the first movie. Is almost it's galling to me. Like in <laughs> retrospect, I'm like, oh man, it's such a wasted opportunity. And yeah. I know nobody except for Dan Aykroyd wanted to make this movie, <laughs> but like, it's just like, oh man, so much wasted opportunity here. That's kind of my big Ghostbusters 2 takeaway. I've got a lot of nostalgia for Ghostbusters 2, and it's because I'd watched it so many times yeah. before I really knew enough to like look at it objectively. Yeah. And so because of that, I've you know, it's one of those movies that I'm willing to overlook a lot of stuff just because it played such a big role in my childhood along with the first one. So I don't hate it. I you know, I I'll, I'm happy to watch it. I don't I don't have the same like uh, distaste for the whole like schmaltzy like uh we need like you know oh every- yeah everybody's that's singing- everybody thing bugs me for some reason everybody's singing old lang syne and then that sort of thing like i you know i my soul isn't quite as dead as yours so i'm still a, a little bit okay with that fair enough okay maybe that's why it doesn't work for me <laughs> my, my tiny the tiny black walnut of a heart that i have and head. yeah it definitely does use a similar formula the first movie like it's you know, even right down to it, like starting with a relatively minor paranormal event that builds that turns out to be related to something larger. And, you know, we said it's basically got like the exact same montages in the first movie. Where well, it's just, like, like the structure of the movie. It's like they, it's like the same skeleton of the script. Like you, yeah. like everything happens at the same time. Like if you put the movies, play them like at the same time you'll be in like the same kind of scenes. Like you'll be in the courtroom at the same time as the Sedgwick and like all that stuff falls right into (laughs) exactly the right spot and stuff. And it's like, Oh Jesus. (laughs) And you even get the same scene where Ray Winston and Egon are covered in goop and Peter's not. Yes. Always. (laughs) You can never get fucking Bill Murray to get covered with anything at this point. (laughs) Well, he did. He got slimed in the first movie. That's true. That's true. I'm curious if any of them look at, especially like the way like Ray and Janos look at the end of this and like cringe at how they look like they just came out of a cocky session because <laughs> yeah. that yeah, slime is real pale. Yeah, there's it's just yeah, there's just placenta all over them or yeah, whatever. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, like I have like that nostalgia for Ghostbusters too. That is also tempered by just like I've seen it enough times that I can recognize now that like yeah, this is kind of a I'm going to say a cheap cash in, but it is kind of just like, oh, we need everybody wanted a sequel. So like, here's the cookie cutter by the number sequel. Yeah. Like, I don't think, you know, I think that they were able to capture as much of the lightning as in a bottle as they as as I could reasonably expect them to given given the fucking phenomenon that the first movie was. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I can't go like fucking super hard on Ghostbusters 2 because I'm like, they're essentially trying to, yeah, capture lightning in a bottle twice. And like that first movie is just like the perfect storm of errors working out perfectly for everybody yeah 
And the only franchise I can think that's really done that super effectively off the top of my head is Blade Runner. You know, that was able to come back like that that was able to effectively capture lightning in a bottle twice. You know, just have like essentially a perfect movie both times. I would argue Empire Strikes Back would be like the sequel where you're like, oh shit, this yeah, is not really as good, if not better, than the other one. And then, you know, Return of the Jedi happens and you have Ewoks. <laughs> yeah, that's one as well. I mean, you know, you could say Godfather as well, but that's not really genre. So true. It's different, true. Kind of different can of worms. But I, I like that right off the top, Ghostbusters 2 subverts expectations. Like, based on the end of Ghostbusters, you figure that these guys have to be like fucking celebrities. You know, they yeah. have to be massive successes by this point and, you know, have like a, a, a booming business in the ghost industry and probably, you know, just were showered with praise and fame after saving New York City. Well, but I mean, everybody forgot that there were ghosts apparently five minutes yeah. after the first movie happened, and now nobody believes that there are ghosts again. It which totally I guess works. Like, yeah, it's like in New York, you would totally be like, Yeah, it was just they were fucking with us. Fuck them, fuck them. Yeah. And then exactly. not think about it anymore, basically. But it's just yeah. like eventually you're like, did nobody else see the fucking three hundred foot marshmallow man walking down Fifth Avenue? Was that just <laughs> me? Okay. Cool. I gotta stop doing so much acid, I guess, like on the weekends, because like weird. But again, it's like New York City, like crazy shit happens all the time kind of thing. They're so they're so desensitized to it. And like, if they weren't there and saw it in person, like, can you imagine like how many New Yorkers would just be like, nah, that didn't fucking happen. You yeah, prob- hey, yeah. Yeah. I mean, from the New Yorkers I've met. Yeah. Yeah. That works. That tracks for the most part. But it's still, <laughs> it's still just one of those like, how does nobody believe there was a, all right, I guess. Like, I'm pretty sure if I saw a marshmallow man walking down the street, I'd be like, okay, ghosts, I guess are a thing that we have to deal with now. <laughs> permanently because like it stepped on a church like yeah. that's not fake <laughs> <laughs> you have to imagine that like after that there there was probably little or no paranormal activity after that or yeah, like, it, not, at least not anything like substantial to the to the point where like you've got like full torso free roaming vapors kind of thing right <laughs> so you know like ev- people after that are just going to go back to thinking like oh that you know the that creepy noise down my hall was just the fucking wind or whatever or like you know that that kind of thing or like a, you know it's just a creaky floor so yeah yeah and i just i like where all of these characters end up after this first movie like it's all believable to me like winston being you know just back to doing whatever he can to fucking make a paycheck like ray with his bookstore and egon going back to science and and then like uh lewis is like the ineffectual lawyer totally yeah. fucking works for me it's actually like the first half of the movie where they're like down on their luck just doing their other stuff is probably like that part of the movie works better for me now as an adult than it like it would have before Where like when i was a kid i was like god just get the goddamn ghostbuster suits whereas yeah. like now as an adult and i just like watching these performers play these characters that opening segment like before they before the courtroom scene i'm like this shit's fucking gold like yeah. they're all playing off each other perfectly. Like it's that same kind of chemistry. It's almost like when they get the Ghostbuster stuff back, you're like, oh, okay, we've done this already, and we're now we're right. gonna. And that's especially where the movie becomes like we are doing the exact plot in the exact order as it happened last time with like, you know, the different window dressing, but it's still the same kind of like general story. And that's kind of one of those. It's one of those things where I'm like, ah, I, I, I don't want to hate on this movie too much, but at the same time, it's frustrating when I will look back at it and be like, oh there's so much stuff you could have done here man and then like especially yeah. when you go to the, the game and like i mean obviously it would have cost a fortune to do that but like having the direct sequel like with evil shandor and like dealing with the portals and the parallel dimensions and stuff that you do in the game you're like ah oh, there's so much more 
you could have done with those characters interacting with each other in this weird world where like Lovecraft shit is real. <laughs> like <laughs> there's Eldritch horrors out there coming to get us and stuff. Like it's a, I don't know. What are you going to do? It's Ghostbusters too. It's just one of those, like it's the biggest shrug in cinema, like just in cinema yeah. at this point. Like, yeah, all right. It's there. It's fine. Um, I love it. But it's like, <laughs> I don't know if I like I don't I don't love it the way I love Ghostbusters, right? Like the first Ghostbusters is flawless to me. Like it's just it, everything works perfectly in there for me. So like when you go to two, I'm like, oh yeah, right. Like it's I'm just happy to see these characters again more than anything. Yeah, exactly. Just seeing them interact and everything is is fun again for me. And and you know, the actors all fall back into those same routines and stuff pretty well, which is which is fun to see. I definitely it's also a lot toned down too. Like, there's not like there. It, the humor's raunchier in Ghostbusters. Like, it. Yeah. Like, they're all smoking. Like, it's <laughs> except for Egon but, fucking the slime. I mean, like that's. I think that's why I, I cling to that joke so hard because that feels like Ghostbusters one humor to me. Where like <laughs> that's a joke they would have made in the first one. Whereas this one, it feels like they it plays it a little safer. Yeah, it's much safer. It's, well, it's post cartoon, right? Like this at this point when they put the first movie out. This movie's it's just a fucking comedy they're making, right? So it's going to be raunchy and it's going to be, you know, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis humor. And then it turns into a fucking enterprise, right? And it's a cartoon and a toy line and all the kids are into it. So we got to make this movie and it's got to be a sequel to the original. But like, it's got to really hit all those other marketing points where we're like, we got to bring the kids in and not completely terrify them. Although some of the like severed heads and shit are kind of graphic, I guess, if you're a kid. But like it's nowhere near as scary as the first one is. Yeah, yeah I agree. So, it's just a little bit like it's a lighter overall kind of affair than the first one. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, even the safe and like the, just treading the same ground over again, kind of what takes it down a notch for me yeah. or a couple notches for me. And the thing is like, it has little glimpses of the same, like really good writing that we got in the first one. Like, again, this is something that happened kind of in between the movies, but when we start hearing more about like, why Dana and Peter's relationship failed, it just rings so true. Yeah, you know, like yeah. that that Peter was just like the kind of asshole that just couldn't commit. And yeah. so Dana was like, well, fuck you, I'm out kind of thing. Like that just totally rings true to that Peter Venkman yeah. character for sure. And then yeah, and then there's other times you feel like, yeah, it's 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 phoning it in, definitely. What else? Uh the score doesn't have the same charm to me this time around. It is a different dude. It's uh Randy Edelman this time around. Uh so it doesn't have it's it's just too schmaltzy this time, but I do have some affection for the soundtrack, like that Jackie Wilson song and the uh Bobby Brown tune as well. I have I have affection for those. I have both those soundtracks on C D. Uh, the the score I I, I pointed out because I wrote in my notes that like because of how effective the score in the first one is, I'm noticing it in the second one how it's just like there's nothing there like just lackluster nothing. by comparison yeah, it's just like dull com- in yeah. comparison and it's kind of like oh because that score brought a lot of life to the first movie and like when you watch yeah. in the second one you're like oh this is not and this the score feels like it's written for a grander movie than this is yeah the score yeah. to ghostbusters 2 for sure yeah whereas like particularly having those little piano notes in the first movie was part of what helped to ground it, you know, and, and keep it kind of in this, like, okay, this is, yeah, this is a world where ghosts exist, but it's still fucking 1984, New York city. Yeah. So what else? I like Janos as a character. Fine. And like the stuff that they do with him is generally like, I'm okay with like the, some of the effect stuff they do with him, like where they, uh, the lights uh, in the during, eyes during the blackout. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's creepy as shit. Yeah, that, that's good lines too. Like that, like the Upper West Side line is fucking fantastic and stuff like that. Yeah, and he his delivery is pretty good. I mean, he's a fucking yeah. stereotype, but he's still. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I like him that he's the prick boss because he walks through and he's like everything you're doing is bad. Yeah. I want you to know. I'm like that's I fucking want great. You to know this. Yeah. yeah, I want you to know this. And then he goes and he's like <laughs> on Dana, just like everybody else in this fucking movie does. So yeah, I think part of what doesn't work for me in this movie is the fact that they really blew. I feel like they blew their effects budget on that Statue of Liberty sequence, and it shows for the rest of the movie. Yeah, like I I like that sequence fine, but and I, I love that they they actually went to the trouble of making like working slime cannons yeah which (laughs) why but okay cool (laughs) but like you can tell that you know in the first like two acts of the movie that there was just like a big lack of effect shots and kind of thing like you know there's what if you sat down and like counted the ghosts in this movie compared to the first one it's probably like less than half as many overall it's probably it's actually probably the same number just because of how the the format of the movie works like you get two at the you only get slimer but in that in that in those montage sequences there's a bunch though yeah but there's a bunch in the the montage sequence of this too i'm just like it's, it's probably comparable i don't find the ghosts as interesting in this one i guess as there's actually something where like i don't know who was talking about it i was listening to somebody else talking about these movies this week because that's what i do before we do the episodes ourselves <laughs> and somebody was mentioning like both movies feel like they're missing a big action set piece like the montage takes yeah. out a spot where you would have another action set piece. And so they do the montage instead of having the big third action set or second action set piece, I guess. And it's kind of weird, but it's like, it works because these movies are just like their own thing almost. Yeah. So I don't know. Like part of me wants to be like, these movies aren't about the ghost catching, but at the same time, I'm like, I want to see them fucking catch ghosts. Yeah. So I guess like, don't play the video game is basically like that's my answer to that basically like if i want to go fuck around and just like do the mechanical ghost busting job stuff that like you kind of want to see them do in the movie probably might not be that entertaining overall just go play the game because you get to do it yourself so yeah the and the one effect on this one that jumped out to me was the uh the huge ghost that like goes through the washington arch yeah and that one is like, I immediately was like, that looks really familiar to me. And then during the credits, I noticed that Dennis Murin ran the effects department on this movie. And Dennis Murin is the guy that did the effects on the Star Wars movies. And that fucking ghost looks like the Rancor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember saying that when I saw it and being like, that looks like the Star Wars thing, doesn't it? Yeah. Is that just me? Okay. So but yeah, <laughs> it's even got the weird like stop motion kind of movement to it oh, too, yeah. right? Like, you can kind of it, it almost feels the same as the Rancor when it's moving around. So yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know that that the segment where the the fur coat comes to life is pretty fucking cool too, though. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. I like it's a good that. It's, I mean, it's puppetry, but yeah, it works works well. You know, it's not like a one of like the uh, sort of iridescent, translucent kind of ghost yes. kind of th- ideas, but it's still still a cool you know it's a possession kind of event or whatever of an inanimate object which you know is what the psychokinetic slime does so works for me yeah yeah all that stuff's fine it's there yeah Yeah, what are you gonna do all right let's uh let's wrap this shit up because we got like another long episode here again wait i have gripes for for ghostbusters 2 that i haven't gotten out yet oh my god really you have more (laughs) shit to complain about in this movie all right I'm, i'm on board so i know we talked about the first movie like how much how integral New York is to the story, but it feels super fucking convenient that both of these major paranormal events happen in New York city within five minutes of each other. When like, obviously this level of 
like supernatural events is pretty fucking rare in this world because nobody like really believes that ghosts exist. Every superhero that exists in the Marvel universe starts is in, in New, New York. York. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and I mean, yes, it, you know, it's a plot of convenience kind of thing, but like, it might've been cool for them to give even an allusion to the fact that like, Oh, since the Gozer incident, like there have been real paranormal events like happening all across the world or whatever. Yeah. Fair. I mean, that's it's the continuity nerd in me, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that would require them to have put more thought into the second screenplay than they did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which yeah. I, that, that's basically all it is. Because, like, I'm sure the guys who wrote the first movie who spent like all this time coming up with this huge, like, Lovecraftian horror backstory that is basically three lines of dialogue in the movie itself. Oh, yeah. The uh, Evo Shandor and the yeah, Gozer cult and everything. Yeah. It's like, what? Maybe. 10 lines of dialogue total dedicated to that whole plot and it's just, but it's just there and when you actually start thinking about it you're like man that's a cool fucking story tell me more about that story and they do in the mo- in the fucking video game 20 years later not in the sequel to the movie it also ghostbusters 2 also doesn't feel it doesn't have the it definitely doesn't have the perfect pacing the no. first movie does like the second act drags a bit like i didn't need all of the whole like all of the shit with Dana and Peter, like rekindling their relationship. I didn't need the Ghostbusters to do like two different visits to the museum to figure out what was going on with the painting. Yeah. So like, there's definitely some, some script fat that could be cut here. Yeah. There's like a whole Lewis Tully subplot that I'm like, they've cut a ton of out already that I'm like, probably could have cut even more out of it. No, 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 You can give me as much fucking Lewis Tully as you want. You're living, you're living vicariously through him with that, yeah. that, Annie Potts. Yeah. And she looks <laughs> fantastic in this movie. So like I'm not, you know, begrudging you that, but <laughs> and just like the Vigo is such a boring fucking major villain in the end. Yeah. The voice of Max Foncito. Just yeah. so we're all we yeah. all know. Who returned for a video game for some fucking reason? I don't know. That was so <laughs> weird. Actually his voice. Well, he just did the little uh cameo or I'm sure he called it on his iPhone to record yeah. his fucking lines, so that's fine. But like, you know, it's it's a fine character design, but like he spends 95% of the movie in a fucking painting. Yeah. That, well, I mean, that's what I mean. Like the threat's not as like, you're not as intimidated by Vigo as you are by like, because you, you don't know what goes to look terror like. dogs for sure. the terror dogs. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like you, you, he's just a, he's a dude in a painting. You're like, he's yeah. a cut rate Vlad Tepes, really. Like that's kind of what the character's based on. It's like, it's a mixture of like, Nostr- oh man, what's the guy's name? Rasputin and Vlad Tepes is based Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, yeah. It's just the two of them kind of melded together and made into a generic Ghostbusters villain. I'm like, all right, cool. But like, yeah. Gozer was fucking badass, and you created a huge Lovecraft story behind it. And like, where's all that shit in here? Like, it's just not there. Yeah, it's kind of flat. And yeah, it's just like it's so anticlimactic that like all they end up having to do to defeat Vigo is just fucking shoot the proton beams at him. Yeah, well, I guess they use the like isn't that there? But like, fuck. Yeah, I mean they use that, but they it's too easy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially after the first movie where we had that bait and switch, right? Where they think that they vaporized Gozer with the proton beams, and it turns out that she's just gone like non-corporeal on them, pretty much. Well, so, like the whole climax bugs me because like they don't do anything; they lay on the ground and like talk at him. I'm like, yeah, oh, can we do a little bit more than just like, yeah. you know, have Venkman fucking sling insults at him for five minutes while he's laying on the ground, like. <laughs> All right, guys, come on, come on. You're better than this. We saw the first movie. We know you can do better than this. Either way. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this shit up. If final thoughts on Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, maybe we can... 
I mean, rate and review this is a joke because it's like Ghostbusters <laughs> is a 10 out of 10 for me anyway. And Ghostbusters 2, based on nostalgia alone, gets like an 8. So like that's exactly my fucking rating. You know what I mean, right? Like I don't know what else you do with these movies. I mean, if I was like like reviewing Ghostbusters two objectively, I'd probably be like, ah, all right, maybe it's like a six or a seven. But like, no, fuck that. Peter Venkman's on my screen. That's an eight. Yeah, exactly. Like just getting to see them back in those roles, yeah. I, regardless of what the fucking content is, is like automatically like six out of ten, and then yeah. like it gets another couple points because like. They turn it's, the proton it's packs decent. on. It gets a yeah, couple it's decently me, engaging so. kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I don't hate it the entire runtime. I think about it after, and I'm like, oh, this could have been better. But like when I'm watching, I'm like, ah, this is fine. I'm having a good time. There's yeah. proton packs going off, and Bill Murray's saying snarky shit, so I'm happy basically. Yeah, exactly. More home there's, there's some fun like set pieces, like the the whole courtroom scene is really fucking fun. Like that's maybe yeah. that's maybe my best my like favorite sequence in the movie is that courtroom sequence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you know, we get more of that. That's that's enough for me. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I guess that's it for uh, Ghostbusters. Rest in peace, Harold Ramis. I don't know. Yeah. We haven't lost anybody else from the cast yet. I'm just, I still yeah. miss Harold Ramis. So there you go. I mean, it's just the other thing that I don't think we can end this episode without saying is like just the fucking cultural impact. Like we talked about the animated oh series. Like yeah. I had so many of the toys. I had the fucking like I had the the I didn't have the pack, but I had the wand. I had the trap. I had the Ecto one. I had a bunch of the fucking figures. Yeah, and shit and like that. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm a, like I mean obviously like I'm obsessed with Ghostbusters. Like to this day, we'll probably use my print as the fucking art for this. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's, like <laughs> that kind of thing. Where like it. That was like one of the first like illustration or like of that style of print that you did, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. When I started doing like when I started doing like the alternate poster, poster stuff, yeah. uh, movie poster stuff, like the stuff in my style, the first movie that I thought of was Ghostbusters. Like it wasn't the first one I probably produced. I think I did some of the Star Trek. Well, I did a couple of them, bits and pieces here and there. But like the one that where I was like, okay, I think I've got this locked down. Like my style is working and everything was the Ghostbusters one. And yeah, it's obviously that was the first one I thought of to do. I was like, I should just do alternate movie posters because all these other fuckers do it and I draw better than they do. So <laughs> why not? And then like, what's the first movie I'm going to think to do either Batman or Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters. Yeah, I'm going to do Ghostbusters. So I get to draw the car and shit that way. Fantastic. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so and Sigourney Weaver in that dress. God damn. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and that's like we're into geek cred and I don't really have a geek cred for you, except for just go watch Ghostbusters because it's Halloween time. (laughs) It's the perfect Halloween movie. You just throw it on. You sit there, you hang out with the boys. They save the world and you're done. And you can maybe watch Ghostbusters, too, if you still got trick or treaters coming to the door. (laughs) Yeah, that's not my plan for every Halloween. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Just give away my uh, my Halloween routine. So there you go. But (laughs) what about you? What do you want to recommend? My geek cred for this week. So this past week was the 30th anniversary of one of my favorite game franchises of all time, The Secret of Monkey Island, which is one of those like classic point and click LucasArts adventures. I'm not playing it. We're not doing it an episode. I'm not playing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, longtime listeners of podcasts will know that I have a huge soft spot in my heart for those old like LucasArts uh, point and click adventure games and Monkey Island series in particular. And there was this guy on YouTube, uh, the YouTube channel is called On a Retro Trip, all one word, that did a 
uh, making a video and to the point like where he got interviews with most of the creative team. So these are guys like, you know, these are people that still have a decent presence in the gaming industry, like uh, Ron Gilbert and Dave Grossman and Tim Schafer, like those kind of guys that are still kicking around today. Yeah, Tim Schafer's, uh, his company got bought up by Microsoft. They're a Microsoft studio. They're doing Psychonauts 2 for the yep. Xbox Series X, if I'm not mistaken right now. Yep. Which is exciting, because Psychonauts came out for like the OG Xbox, and was like this weird cult hit. It's a fantastic game. Like, just weird. Yeah. A fantastic game. Yeah. Um, that's one, if you can pick that up, fuck, try and get Psychonauts. Whew, that one's, it's hard to get, and like... I'm sure you can still, like, I mean, all that shit you can find on, like, yeah, good old on Steam. that kind of yeah. thing now, you know, to play it. Because it, it had a PC version, too. Oh, that's right, it did. But, oh, second, that's fantastic. But, yeah, yeah. Tim Schafer, awesome. So, like, this Making of Monkey Island video is, like, an hour and 20 minutes long, and it, like, fucking deep dives. Like, it goes into, like, you know, how they made, how they colored the game with, like, the 16 fucking color palette that they had originally, and yeah. how, like, this was one of the first games to use, like, dithering of pixels in its art to, like, you you know, give the illusion of additional colors in the palette and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's yeah. really, really interesting if you're into, you know, like retro gaming and kind of how they were made. Even if you weren't into this particular game kind of thing, it's an interesting little view into gaming history. And there's also some like fun stories because they were doing all this shit at the Skywalker Ranch. Yeah. Uh, like that's where LucasArts started out. Like it was a really tiny game company. And that was like George Lucas's whole plan was like, just keep it small. You know, I just want this to be like my little side project. And, you know, as long as you guys keep things small, like, I don't really care if you're making like games that make a shitload of money because I'm fucking George Lucas. I made Star Wars and that was like, they were always able to kind of whatever you want to call it, like lift their income by releasing Star Wars games. Yeah. So like there was always Star Wars and, games and the Indiana Jones games better. too. Yes. Yeah. 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 So they, they had big franchises that they were able to use to like, keep themselves afloat while they were doing these fun projects well yeah. fun for them projects like tail of monkey yeah. island which and they even say like during this making a video like th- this was a game that like they never thought was going to become like you know this get weird this like phenomenon. Yeah. yeah exactly this weird cult phenomenon that like so many game developers um and gamers look back on so fondly and and cite as an influence or whatever so yeah it's cool and it's one of those things where I mean, right now, indie gaming is kind of having a renaissance, but for like 20 years after that, you couldn't get a game made unless it was a fucking like big budget, like, you know, tentpole kind of game. Yeah. Indie gaming now, it's interesting because there's there's a huge strata now. It used to be like AAA and like AA and then like kind of the smaller stuff like those like indie stuff like that's can you call it consider something that comes from george lucas <laughs> independent like i know he likes to consider himself an independent filmmaker but like he has fuck off star wars money so like <laughs> kind of weird he's got his own fucking like effects company so i don't yeah think... <laughs> yeah so i don't think it really counts at that point but like yeah it's it's the story of that stuff is so much fun especially like those early day video game guys who are just like making this shit up by the seat of their fucking pants and cutting edge technology they barely knew how to fucking operate and like yeah craziness especially making those games for like i mean we take for granted now like the the abilities of like DirectX and all that kind of shit and like these nvidia graphics cards that can push out billions of pixels at a time and all that kind of stuff but like they're designing this crap for like man like 286 computers with like 256 pixels across and like 16 yeah, and colors right and exactly and having to like fit all of it onto like a few floppy disks yeah, or something like, like floppy, that or, yeah, yeah and then like your storage is tiny and slow so like it's just yeah, yeah it's a big nightmare of shit but like yeah. you're looking at what they're launching in a couple weeks versus like you look at that stuff and then you look at like what's coming out for series x and ps5 and like the next gen of just like 
holy shit, that's almost a real Spider-Man movie that you're yeah. getting to play. And yeah, the evolution is crazy. One of the things they mentioned too is the like how in some ways things have come full circle because like now people are looking at the methods that they use to make games like that as methods that they could use to make like mobile games, like phone games yeah. that can't, you know, run like, uh, you know, the uh, fucking like, you know, they don't have the capacity of an Xbox or fucking like PlayStation yeah. or something like that. So. Yeah. You know, like they're still or having to look at those or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're still having to look at some of those, like, oh, how can we compress these images down to like a more manageable size, manageable size for streaming, gaming, and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it's interesting how, yeah, that has kind of come back, you know, to play. And there are people like, you know, I, I saw a story just this week that was like a guy that's gotten like the original Doom to load on a fucking calculator. I saw that somebody was playing Doom Eternal streaming on XCloud on their fucking fridge this week. Yeah. And I was like, that's ah, nerds. I love you. I love you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This has been episode 221 of Dance Robot Dance. Also kind of a redux of episode two, but you know, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe. You can do that from any podcatching app, you Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have any thoughts about anything we talked about, or you just want to nerd about a Ghostbusters with us a little bit, we are on Facebook, facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast. I might even check in if you actually talk about Ghostbusters, guys. <laughs> I might show up and say shit. Oh, on big promise. It happens occasionally, not often. It's usually when somebody calls out one of my things not working, when I'll like fucking appear and be like, ah, oh, fix it. Fuck. Sorry. Either way. Um, you can also hit us up on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast. You can hit me up on Twitter, M underscore Willette, or on Instagram, MT underscore Willette, which I would love to follow from you because that algorithm, she's a bitch right now. <laughs> you can email us at dancerobotdancepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so I've been here with Tim. Say goodnight, buddy. Listen, do you smell something? Uh, I have a better question for you. Where do these stairs go? (laughs) They go up. Yep. There you go. So I'm Mark. You can follow us wherever you fucking want to. Go buy a print at blackraingallery.com. Commissions are still open. Uh, We will talk to you next week. Bustin makes me feel good. So dirty, you know, like when you just think (laughs) about context. It's so gross. Anyway. Awesome.